This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. And top of the morning to you. It's Friday. It's Friday morning. And Christmas, or uh, Christmas, and um, Hallowed and Eve. Christmas is Eve. tomorrow. And the Eve oh, wait. before Halloween. Why'd you jump to Christmas? I don't know. It's because it's all the holidays have been on my mind. Which ones specifically? Uh, specifically Thanksgiving, like and Arbor Christmas. Day, because I have to organize my life. Oh, but before we before we've got uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, we've got to get through Halloween, and I've got a baby, grandbaby being born, my first grandchild. At what point? Sometime in the next, by the way, five days probably. Okay. <laughs> is there is there like a, a date where they're just saying, okay, we're just going to yeah. do this thing? Well, so she was due Monday. Mm. My daughter was due Monday, and. Pretty much, they won't induce her till Monday, till this Monday. Yeah. So she about a week. She literally came to my house and ran stairs. Mm-hmm. My wife was a week over, a week overdue, yeah. frustrated. Oh yeah, my she can't get this it. thing out of me. I kept saying, just have it then, just have it. <laughs> it's all about mental, Focus. mental power. Just do it. You have to. And uh, beautiful, my son has been praying for my daughter in our family prayers, and she'll he'll say, "Bless that the baby will will come out smoothly." Okay, <laughs> it's pretty funny. So we at least know whatever happens, it will be a smooth delivery. We don't know when, we don't know how she'll get there, but the delivery will go smoothly. Like smooth it's friday <laughs> and thank heaven this friday um halloween i know you, i know ben and i have been talking about his costume you know what he's going as right i don't spongebob really yeah interesting close sponge ben they call him sponge ben mm-hmm. it's actually a giant gingerbread man costume are you serious mm-hmm. <sighs> stick with spongebob yeah i would have gone spongebob <laughs> i mean Gingerbread man, that's kind of like old, old, old school. Like yeah. from Shrek, though. <laughs> oh, I guess. Okay. Well, do you talk like? Do you have that high voice like the gingerbread man? On? You're a monster. Okay. <laughs> now it just got weird. Uh, it's not weird. It's Friday. It's weird. That was sufficiently weird. That it was pretty weird, actually. In the news, by the way. Um, you were going to ask about my costume. Oh, are you are you going to wear a costume? No, of You're course not. not. I, know, I knew that. Just I'm going to be. Ask. A, I'm on. going to be a um, a great big whoopee cushion. Okay. I have a great whoopee cushion outfit costume, and you know the ladies in the neighborhood love it. I'm Everyone gonna, always wants to give me a hug. I'm going to be the guy telling people to walk on the sidewalk, stay off my lawn. I've heard of you. That's my guy. Yeah. That's who I'm going to be. You're not even dressing up, though, are you? No, I'll just stand at the front door and yell at people. Are you going to have the hose ready? Uh, No, it's a little cold for the hose. Don't make me get the hose. So, just, you know, walk, use the driveway and sidewalk. Stay off the lawn. (laughs) Man, these kids. It's sad. You're a curmudgeon. (laughs) 
What's yeah, going I, on I, in I, this world that you would want to like ruin Hallowed Eve? No, just let's have some rules and some decorum as we we go about getting free stuff. Stay off my lawn. It is an odd Halloween custom that we hand out free candy. But this is weird. How old is your boy? He's four. So this is all fairly new to you. Yeah. I mean, last year we went to two houses and he goes, Dad, I'm done. Are you kidding? Yeah, he was just done. Holy cow. He had like five pieces of candy. He was set. My, I think my kids have like a cartel. They they come home with truckloads of candy. Well, I think as they grow, you start understanding. Wait, this is all free. Yeah, let's do this. Thing, you know, Except, and then when they become uh, teenagers, they just like you know put on a little bit of makeup, grab a pillowcase, and hit the streets. And you know, you guys are just out here for the candy. Put on a costume. Make some effort here. You know, oh, I don't like Halloween because it's this. We have mice. We have we have mm. we have a mouse. We let's just say. We've taken a few mice out. We've Ooh. we've killed a few. Okay. Yeah. And we have one that's still haunting my house. And my wife will not relax. She sits, you know, in – she sits yoga style. <laughs> on the couch. It, on the highest place in any room. Okay. So wherever she is, she... On, whether it's the counter – Yeah. She'll sit on the counter. Does she realize that it's more afraid of her than oh, yeah. she is a bit? Yeah. But, but she's totally expecting it to crawl over her shoulder yeah. and just sort she, of – I think she thinks it's going to like carjack us and hijack <laughs> us and everywhere. She thinks it's everywhere now. So she spent the entire day out of the home yesterday. On purpose? Uh-huh. She didn't go home. She ran errands. She kept calling me, any other errands you need run? <laughs> need me to do anything? She says, I don't want to go home because there are little mouses there. So did you have suggestions? Yeah, okay. I gave her everything I had. All right. I even had her. I wanted her to change or have the tires rotated in my car. Right. But I had my car. Oh, come like, get. Do you, want, do you want to drive down here to come drive, get, the car? get the car? Go back. She would have. Of course, she wanted to Just stay out of the house. Don't make me go home. So then you know, there's a point where you have to go home. Yeah. And I had a son. All roads lead there eventually. One of my sons had his wisdom teeth out, and so he was on the couch, and he just said he just saw the mouse run across the floor. It startled him a bit, mm-hmm. and then he just went back to TV. Well, yeah, at first you're like, whoa. Oh, okay. You can't. Just, what are you supposed to do? It's just a mouse. It's just a mouse. I mean, it's, it's just a mouse. We have like, I think, a, a mouse trap for every square foot of our home. <laughs> just kind of overdone it? Mm-hmm, yeah. You use cheese or peanut butter? We use everything. Nice. Because we found that it was eating a Tootsie Roll. Okay. So we use Tootsie Roll. We uh-huh. use, you know what it really likes? What's this that? is crazy. Lemon and honey flavored cough drops. Hmm. They love those. I think it's because there's a strong smell, like a mentholatum, or I don't know what it is. Yeah. And that they love that smell. Okay. We've put peanut butter on them, but there's this one. I think there's this one that just, I don't know, he's probably wearing a gas mask. He can't smell anything. <laughs> and he's just running around the house. So if anybody has any tips on how to get a mouse, cat. A cat, we should, but I'm, we're all allergic to cats, oh, so yeah. that would probably kill us. So tweet us at Doctor Matt Show. Well, they have to... those like short-haired cats that don't put off any dander or whatever it is. I know they're so ugly. I don't know. Uh, we, <laughs> we, we 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 may borrow a neighbor's cat if we can't get this thing done. Ah, oh, crazy town, crazy town. Uh, let's go to the headlines. Find out from Terry what's going on in the rest of the world. Terry, thanks, Matt. A fugitive accused of shooting a Tennessee police officer and firing at a Kentucky trooper was killed in a shootout with authorities earlier this morning. 
Ending a nearly week-long manhunt, here's a Kentucky State trooper on the search. He brandished a gun, his shots were exchanged, and uh, Cook sustained wounds, which ultimately led to his death. Tonight was kind of the, the scary moment because, you know, we didn't know where he was. And when you're searching in the dark, that's an uneasy feeling. There's a, a feeling of relief that, that it is over, uh, that uh, the community's safer now uh, just because we found him. Floyd Ray Cook, 62, confronted by state troopers and a federal marshal armed with a handgun, exchanged gunfire in uh, Burksville, Tennessee, or Burksville, Kentucky. He was wounded, pronounced dead at the scene. No officers were hurt. An aircraft caught fire at a Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport in Florida where a dynamic International Airways flight, it had a fuel leak, and all of a sudden it caught fire. It was... uh, Another airplane actually saw the fuel leak, notified the tower. They notified the the airplane. The guy went, yeah, we need to get, but we'll probably need to get back to the gateway. And then all of a sudden, a fireball explodes oh, wow. out of the airplane. They immediately de- deplane everybody, as, you know, fast yeah. and orderly. Everyone got off the plane. It was bound for Venezuela. So oh. that, that would have been a bad deal. You're, yeah, you're halfway between Florida and Venezuela, and your airplane catches on fire. Uh, it's unknown how many people are on board at least 20 people were transported to a hospital. There were some minor injuries, but everyone got off the plane, even though there's this massive fireball that was seen all over the area and smoke and everything. Yeah. So very dramatic uh, video there. Uh, new Speaker Paul Ryan was handed the gavel officially, took over for John Boehner. Ryan's first speech called for a restoration of order. He said, Let, let's be frank. We're not solving problems. We're adding to them. Rather than settling scores and laying blame to solve those problems, Ryan said under his speakership, the House will instead be wiping the slate clean. Mm. To help with that, yeah. the Senate passed the budget. Yeah. Woo. And so that's... He doesn't have to deal with that now. That'll go to the White years. House. President Obama will sign that, and that'll be off his plate that's for good. several years. Vice President Joe Biden met privately with Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders on Thursday. Mm. They went to... Uh, What's that building called? It's the uh, the Naval Observatory. Oh, really? Just that's where out. the vice president's yeah. office and, right. and quarters are. And they they spoke for a, about an hour. Both uh, both all the staff members were out in the hallway, and those two just were in there by themselves talking. It's huh. unclear if uh, Bernie Sanders asked for an endorsement. for his presidency, but uh, they spoke for a while. They had a discussion about issues. Uh, they discussed campaign finance reform and a free education plan, which are things that uh, Bernie Sanders is pushing in his campaign. So it's interesting that they had a bit of a summit yeah. yesterday. Also, a man starting in the 70s, Othella Anders, if he saw a penny, he would pick it up, say a quick prayer of thanks, and place it in a five-gallon water jug. Just a, a random penny. He'd see a penny on the street, see a penny on the ground anywhere, yeah. he'd put it in there. Year after year, the Louisiana teacher watched his collection grow until finally on Tuesday he turned in more than a half a million pennies and was given $5,136 for his effort. Wow. The 73-year-old stopped collecting because his homeowner's insurance policy no longer covered his prize penny collection. Eventually, he filled 15 five-gallon containers, collecting so many pennies that it took the, his uh, local bank that he went to, their employees there, took five hours to sort and process all oh, the Oh, he's the guy that every banker hates. He called ahead. Did he? Said, hey, by the way, I'm coming in. Lots of pennies. Bringing my penny collection. But that's a very lucky collection. Who has – how many – when was the last time you saw a penny on the ground and just picked it up? No idea. I mean – I have them at my house, of course, but they're, they've been yeah. rendered almost useless. That's you, a lucky Even collection. gumball machines are five and ten cents now. So. Or credit cards. Right. you got to use your credit card now to get your gumballs out. 
Interesting stuff. Lucky guy. Lucky guy. Hey, um, okay. This is a, this is a, I've been wondering how to, how to introduce our next guest. Coming up in a minute is Dr. Larry Baxter, who is here from Brigham Young University. And um, he is helping, he's, he's helping all of us with climate change, with, uh, and better emissions in our cars. But you won't believe how he's doing it. Okay, you've heard of you've you've heard of cryogenesis. You've heard of that tragic death of a cryotherapy worker who froze to death in a cryo chamber. Well, what if you found out that we could probably eliminate emissions, let's say from our coal plants, by just freezing the emissions? Our next guest, Dr. Larry Baxter, is on top of it and has solved, possibly solved, or given a really incredible solution to uh, President Obama's challenge to reduce emissions by 32%. He's with us next. We're talking, you know, climate change and uh, cryogenic freezing of emissions. More sustainable energy, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, bringing you all the solutions you need right here on BYU Radio. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, joining us today, um, we are talking about BYU has some new technology to tackle climate change by, believe it or not, freezing the carbon emissions. So for years, coal has been used as a major form of electricity production, right? However, this process has produced toxins and emissions, gases that have harmed the environment and the road to developing a cost-effective and successful technology to counteract these harmful chemicals has proven to be a fairly difficult feat. Now, to add a little pressure to the whole thing, President Obama has planned has a plan to reduce carbon dioxide emissions by 32 percent by 2030. And our next guest, BYU professor Larry Baxter, has developed a technology that may be just the answer to the world's climate change issues. This uh, approach, which industry experts call a game changer, separates carbon dioxide from other gases preventing it from escaping into the air by freezing it at about a negative 130 degrees Celsius. And he's here today to talk to us a little bit about uh, this process. And uh, we so appreciate you being here, Dr. Baxter. My, my pleasure. It's fun because I, and there's, I've watched some really fun videos. Not fun, but it's just so intriguing to me that something as simple as freezing carbon dioxide emissions I guess it weighs them down. They don't float away. Is that what happens? And then they what? Talk to us about what you've discovered. So it's actually people in Utah and most of the northern United States have a lot of experience with this type of thing. It's essentially like a a blizzard. Uh, We we cool the gas down in in a blizzard. You form solid ice from water and uh, form snowflakes. In our process, we form carbon dioxide flakes. Uh, Dirty dioxide flakes. Well, it's not dirty. It's actually pr- pristine white. Is it, looks, it white? It, it looks uh, it's, it looks pretty clean, but um, but uh, it, but 
the carbon dioxide is not like a traditional pollutant. So the pollutants we normally worry about, socks, knocks, particulate, mer- yeah. mercury, they all have health and environmental effects that are pretty negative. Um, and, they're, and they're actually toxins to people if in high concentrations. Uh, carbon dioxide, we breathe carbon dioxide all the time. It, uh, in high concentrations, it's toxic in 3 or 4% levels. But uh, at the concentrations that uh, it's in the atmosphere, it's... It's what makes plants grow. It's what yeah. makes it possible for plants to grow. So, and plants make it possible for us to grow. Us so, to grow, yeah. So, the real reason, the real problem with carbon dioxide is its contribution to climate change. Mm-hmm. And so, we, and uh, there's a lot more carbon dioxide than there is these other pollutants. It's uh, typically about fourteen to sixteen percent of a flue gas um, of an exhaust gas coming out of a coal-fired boiler. A little higher coming out of a cement kiln, little, quite a bit lower coming out of natural gas boiler, for example. So it's pretty so. much coming out of any, any boiler, any anything that's being run by um, gasoline, coal, any fuel. That's right. Anything you burn produces, <clears throat> well, anything besides hydrogen that you burn produces carbon dioxide. Mm. So basically, all of our hydrocarbons, wow. all of all of our fossil yeah. fuels. So. So this process, if you just imagine going through it, uh, we just cool the gases down and get to the point that uh, the CO2 forms these solid flakes. Um, the, the one difference between this and a traditional blizzard is that uh, the concentration of carbon dioxide is much, much higher than the concentration of water in a blizzard. So it's the right. wor- worst imaginable blizzard. In fact, uh, <laughs> in fact, there's so much carbon dioxide, the thickness of carbon dioxide flakes would be two or three times as much as... The, the a regular snow flake. in a in a snowbank. So. Oh, are you serious? <laughs> so it's pretty so yeah. Luckily, we don't have to experience <laughs> right. that blizzard. So this could, you could, you really just at the end. So the pipe where the emissions are coming out of a let's say a coal plant, mm-hmm. you would just take those emissions, super freeze them. I guess is what you're doing. 133 degrees below Celsius at Celsius, right? Right, right. And they freeze. They do. They, the technical term for that is desublimation. So they go from a gas to a solid. They don't ever become a liquid. So, and and the numbers are incredible. What percentage of the the emissions can you pull out of it? We, we can pull out. Uh, we can pull out a hundred percent of the carbon dioxide that the that the fuel adds to the air and just leave what was in the air initially. But, oh my uh, heavens! Plus, you can pull out the NOx and the SOx, right? NOx, SOx, mercury, particulate, all of those other things uh, we also remove. So it's the perfect filter. It's kind of like a filter, yeah. yeah. I don't know f- about perfect. There are there are some things that slip through it, um, some pollutants that uh, it doesn't. It's not effective. But for the great majority of both the ones we worry about now and the yeah. ones we might worry about in the future, it removes all of them. And then so. you just get a big block of. It's, I mean, it's it's clean, pristine, whitish snow, but you wouldn't want so, to make a snow cone, or you, I mean, with the knocks and the socks. So it depends on what the flue gas looks like before you do this. So it, uh, um, the CO two by itself is is clean, and uh, there are lots of things you could do with that. We can talk about that in a minute, but. Uh, if you if you don't treat the, uh, the the remove those other pollutants first, you'll also have those mixed in there, so it's not especially clean right, in that yeah. case. Wouldn't want to eat it, for example. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, it's dry ice. It's dry ice. That's what dry ice is: is solid carbon dioxide. So, and that's just basically what this is. But in our process, it's not quite as simple as I said. I'll, I won't complicate it. But uh, we. 
you form these snowflakes. If you can imagine, there's you know there's a lot of material flowing through these pipes, and mm-hmm. if you, ter- you turn this into a snowbank or something even more dense than a snowbank, how do you keep it moving through the pipe? That's, that's a, true. Yeah, I guess you so got to have a, a big auger or something right. going. <laughs> <laughs> so we we've developed several ways to do that and to do the heat transfer, all the engineering things you have to do. Yeah, um, we've we've managed that and we run these things. We've built. Uh, several of these facilities now. We've, we have two what we call skid-scale devices. They they load up on the back of two or three semi-trucks, and we take them to coal-fired power plants, for example. And you've or proven it, yeah. And, and take a portion of their exhaust and treat it there and show people how it's going to work. And Man. It's work, working really well. It's, uh, for an engineer, this is like... Uh, this is the greatest fun you could have. So. No, well, this is, this is... You're solving one of the world's biggest problems... I mean, it's global. This is, yeah. I mean, and China's worse than America, and America's. Well, it's actually literally um, the, the National Academy of Sciences has identified this as, at one point, they said this is the biggest technical challenge we'll face this century is to solve this climate change issue. So, and and yours is. Just are there a lot of solutions, or is yours like? I mean, it seems like you're also just taking nature and letting nature do what nature does. Well, what makes this important is there are other solutions. People have been working on this, you know, huge problem like this. There are a lot of people working on it all over the world. Uh, nobody's doing it this way. Um, the the leading solutions are uh, are extremely energy intensive. So yeah. somewhere between a quarter and a third of the power output of the power plant goes into just removing the CO2. So right. that's, a, that's a huge So if you have to use more energy to get rid right. of your bad emissions, right. you're and in trouble. And they're quite costly. And, and in most cases, you'd have to essentially rebuild the power plant, uh, which makes it even more costly to, to do these other solutions. So, yeah. so our, our solution is also pretty costly, but uh, not nearly that costly. So we take between 10 and 15% of the output of a power plant to run this process, and um, which is about half of what, uh, what the other processes are. And the cost, the economic costs, are also about half of what the other processes are. Oh, but that's, man. But that's still costly. That's uh, This isn't going to be free. But, no, but uh, it's a solution. That's... Right. It's a, and it's a practical, realistic solution. So the to an average consumer, this would translate to about 2.5 cents per kilowatt hour increase in your electric bill. Right now, the national average is about 13 cents per kilowatt hour. So man. this would bump it up to 15 or 15 and a half so that's noticeable, but it's not overwhelming. It's well, and it's all, but it's also, I guess, if it eliminates ninety-eight to one hundred percent of the emission, unhealthy right. emissions. Right, right, and it treats a lot of things. So it really turns uh, it turns fossil energy into something we can continue to use for a long time without uh, de- degrading the planet. But significantly, it's also really important for renewable energy. So yeah. in, in addition to doing the carbon capture. It's an energy storage technology, or it can be built so that it stores energy. It's the most efficient and cost-effective energy storage technology we would have. So one of the biggest problems, probably the biggest problem with wind and solar right now, is that you know it only generates power when the wind blows, and we can't. That's right. You know, We're hoping. What, what, yeah. what would happen if our grid were going up and down like that? It, it, it would. It would just crush our economy to have that kind of unreliability. Mm-hmm. So plus, the, you would keep. The, it seems like just the ability to keep using. Uh, Fossil fuels and and there's already industry there. There's already people employed there. It keeps economies going. So if you can do right. it cleanly, right? But even the renewable energies, if we use, if we install this technology, we can use. So let's say wind. You have a wind farm, for example. Wind blows more commonly at night than it does during the day. Yeah. So we don't need power at night. We need power during the day. So yeah. so we could take the power that's being generated at night, and this process can actually store that energy in the next day uh, when we and really need it. the power, put it back on that's the grid, great, again, yeah. grid again, and uh, 
And uh, that, this will be as important to renewable energies as it is to fossil energies, this technology. That's great. So. You've done it. Well, well I mean, we're it, doing it, it and we're well, trying to do it. Yeah, that's the thing is – and I, it's got to be an uphill battle because you also have to fight industry and government. And then you have to pay for it all and like um, – well, let's do this. We'll take a break and come back. I want to hear how – you. so you have this great discovery. You know it works in smaller uh, test levels. You've taken it to bigger levels. But now you need to take it to a massive level to be able to take on a full plant. I want to come back and find more out about that. We're speaking with Dr. Larry Baxter here from Brigham Young University. And uh, we're talking about a new discovery that, uh, that is basically freezing your, uh, those, the carbon emissions, the gases that come out of these plants, even your car. Maybe will it someday be in the car, Larry? Probably not. It, this technology works best for something that runs 24 hours yeah, a day. You don't want to have an ice maker wanna, in your car. <laughs> you don't want to start it up and shut it down frequently, but uh, okay. at least not in the form that it is right now. So. We'll talk more about it. Give us a second. We'll be right back, folks. More on uh, the technology tackling climate change by freezing carbon emissions. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. everybody to the Matt Townsend show. Hey, we're talking about uh, climate change. And one of the great mandates by President Obama was basically a plan to reduce carbon dioxide emissions by 32 percent by 2030, which was a it's a huge task. And that, I mean, that's every coal plant. I mean, any, anything that's burning fuel or energy um, is going to have some Emissions and our guest, Doctor Professor Larry Baxter, here from Brigham Young University, uh, he may have an answer. In fact, he knows he has an answer to some degree, and um, he's joining us right now, talking about um, a process that he's uh, invented. And and I guess I, don't, I mean it's the wording's weird because it's nature, but you've figured out if we go freeze this carbon dioxide emissions out of a plant, coming out of a plant, you can capture them and basically remove the emissions before they hit the air. That's right. So, and so for people, technically minded people who are listening, they're going to think, yeah, the cost of, the energy cost of uh, cooling all that exhaust down, that's enormous. And and they're right. It would be if you, if you did this by traditional refrigeration technique where, where we were delivering the gas as a cold gas, it would be extremely expensive. But that's not the way we do it. So the, what makes this energy efficient and so that you can afford to do it is that we cool the gases down by warming the – once we've separated the CO2 from the other gases, we warm the gases and the CO2 back up and we use that heat to cool the other gases down. And so what comes out of this process is it's at room temperature or the same temperature it started. Is it really? And so it gets cold in the middle of the process but there's nothing cold being delivered. And if you do that the right way, then you can – actually make this process very energy efficient too. And it really it only would it's only about it only would take about fifteen percent more energy. Is that what you were saying? Take uh ten to fifteen percent uh of the energy of the power plant to to remove the CO two, right? As so, a, as opposed to 
thirty percent right. in other systems. Right. And then so you, now you run into a problem. So you've proven it in a in a lab. You've proven it even at a in a portable plant or a portable unit that can go to smaller coal plants. Now what do you need to do with it? So the next step is to build a true pilot scale facility, something that would be we, – we actually have the design for it already. It would be um, three, maybe four stories tall and wow. uh, about 40 feet by 40 feet on, in terms of its footprint. Um, that will cost about uh, $25 million to, yeah. to build that and that's our next step. We're and that's just a – that's a prototype. It's a test. Still, yeah, that's still small. So then the uh, – so if, if people aren't familiar with the scale of operations at coal-fired power plants, everything is small com- compared to what happens at a coal-fired power plant. So yeah. coal-fired power plants are enormous. They, the biggest piece of equipment that exists is usually the one they use at a, at a coal-fired is power really? plant. So it, <laughs> yeah. So an actual commercial-scale system will be closer to 250 to $300 million, which is a lot of money, mm-hmm. especially for a pollution control system. But that's that's a – Notable but not outrageous investment at a at a power plant. That's that's the kind of money they're used to spending right. for this kind of equipment. Well, and so. it would, it, it, in a weird way, it sounds like it would save an industry. It will. It's got a big target on it. Several industries: the coal mining industry, the power generation industry. So, so. it'd save a lot of jobs. Plus, it's not just for the fossil fuels. So any new kind of renewable fuel also could use it would use the energy storage component of it, which will make them way more effective than they are right now in terms of right. of uh, making a real contribution to the grid. So, Do you – I mean th- we've talked about it before. We've Interesting uh, – we had another professor on from Brigham Young University that had um, a solution for these – some of these superbugs and like how to actually clean up and, and, um, and like remove – Superbugs from surgical centers and things like that, and even from your body once you have a virus or whatever. But he he again saying it's going to cost tens of millions of dollars just to test it. This is where you, you need support. You need the government involved. You need other people that can help you do that. How how are you going about that? So the government is involved. Uh, the Department of Energy has been a, one of the principal supporters of our work thus far, um, but actually a, a relatively small supporter. Uh, other people from one of our earliest real cash investors was a, actually a utility company in Den- in, in Denmark called really? Dong Energy, and they gave us some some money early on to get started. Um, the state of Wyoming, which Wyoming produces about half of the coal, all of the coal in the United States, about half of it comes out of the state of Wyoming. So they're very they're interested, interested in this technology. They've been a, a major supporter. They've been a, they've been great to work with. Uh, we've worked with people in Canada, in uh, Alberta, the CCMC group, a climate change organization that they've developed there. So we have support from a lot of different areas, but as we get build bigger and bigger facilities, it becomes more and more expensive, of yeah. course. And so, so it gets uh, we need more and more support. Where, what, um, where do you see this going? Where do you see that you're? What's your next step? So our next step is this pilot the facility that I talked about, and, uh, and importantly on the commercial side is we're, we're actually actively um, interviewing and looking for what we call a technology partner. So you know we, we, we eventually will get to the point where you're going to build a several hundred million dollar facility. Yeah. Um, they don't want to hire this small company to do that. We right. We, and we frankly don't have the skills to build something that size anyway. We're, yeah. we're great designers and we're great prototypers and we're innovative engineers, but we're not construction people. So. Yeah, you need a big contractor. Yeah. So 
So we're looking for a company that uh, has kind of the international presence and the credibility and uh, and the the ability to to erect these facilities all over the world and uh, somebody we can partner with to to commercialize this. Do you sense that the the hitting President Obama's goal is is it is it realistic? Uh, it's thirty two percent of carbon emi- carbon dioxide emissions uh, reduce reduction by twenty thirty. So the so if you look at the details, I think it's doable. It's definitely a stretch. It's uh, it's aggressive, no doubt about that. Um, some for some regions, so the 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 thirty two percent that you talk about is kind of a national average, but there are some places that are looking at over forty percent reductions in uh, in CO two. That's going to be a real tough. Mm. Uh, in fact, uh, Montana, Wyoming are two of the ones that are the hardest hit, and uh, they. Uh, it's it's actually a little hard for me to see how they're going to comply with this, but uh, in but overall, I think uh, it's a very aggressive but uh, potentially doable thing. It's, mm-hmm. um, but even if you accomplish that, even if you do this thing that's right at the edge of what is feasible, I would say it's a small step compared to what we need to do to control climate on this yeah. planet. Uh, first of all, it's only in the United States, and secondly, even if you did this around the world at this level, we'd still be far away from what we have to do. So to put this in perspective, we need to, the climatologists say we need to collect um, somewhere between 60 and 80 percent of all the CO2 we emit. And uh, the CO2 that comes from power generation in general is is only about 30, little over 30 percent. And so we've got to collect about twice as much as the sum of everything that comes from coal-fired power plants. The rest of it's going to be harder. So that means converting more cars to electric cars, for example, and then uh, capturing the CO2 at the power plant or, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot, lot of conservation that has to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of, in our homes, there's things that we're probably going to have to do differently. Um, so to get to the real goal, which is to cl- control the climate, this is actually an easy step compared to what's, what it's going to take yeah. to get there. But, uh, but it's a very aggressive step in terms of what's practically doable right now. Well, so. and it seems like the countries that are the biggest polluters may not be as financially interested to work on this right now. Well, so per person, the United States is the biggest polluter. Yeah, so, oh, are we? Okay, yeah. Yeah, so per, um, but, per, yeah. Uh, but in terms of total emissions, then China is actually dwarfs everybody, everyone else at this point. Uh, but, but so uh, if the U.S. can get a hold of itself. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, this would be a chance for us to develop a technology, maybe in the U.S., this technology, maybe other technologies will come along as well, and then, you know, use those around the world. Mm-hmm. And that would be a huge contribution. But uh, don't don't think that the Chinese are sitting on their hands. They, uh, they, they are excellent engineers. Yeah, and absolutely. They're very aggressive about things like this. They might surprise you to know the high, best performing, the most modern power plants in the world are in China. Are not they really? in the United States. And so the... Uh, they, they've just built them. They're still building them. Actually, they're closing some down even as, as they build others. Um, Interesting. But, uh, um, but they are very, very good engineers, and they're very much aware of these problems and uh, looking for solutions as well. So, What's it like, Larry, um, to be on the verge of something that's so potentially important? I mean, this is a big stewardship it is. Um, so it's exciting and intimidating. Um, but at the end of the day, you just 
you know, don't worry too much about the big picture. We know what we need to do. We just know what the next step is, and we just keep doing that and uh, and uh, see how things turn out. You know, well, happens. it's also interesting because there's a ton of money to be made too, but it's also you seem much more just like mission driven by this. Like this is more your passion than it is your retirement. Yeah, just not just me, but if you were to come out to we for, we formed company Sustainable Energy Solutions. If you were to come out there and talk to the people. I don't think there's a person out there that's driven by potential yeah. financial gain. Because uh, it's a lot of headache to get some yeah, money. Yeah, <laughs> it but it's fun. It's it is extremely rewarding. And yeah. It's, and these and uh, you know we've got a team of people out there that are very much mission driven, and this is their passion. That's they cool. love what they do. They believe in what they do. Yeah. And uh, do you run into people? I mean, it seems like you're also running into other. You're running up against industries that. Or, or not even industries, but other movements that may not want coal plants to survive, that may not want. So there, there are your some success. some people who are just kind of anti-coal. Even if, even if you can make coal more environmentally yeah. benign, they just don't like coal. And that's a fairly significant group of people. There are also people who are don't believe in climate change, and they right. just think you should ignore all this. Both of those groups of people are uh, probably less enthused about this technology. But at the end of the day, if 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 what we care about is climate change and the environment and we have a realistic solution that can be implemented and can be, and be done so at economically acceptable costs, yeah. that'll, that will win the day. Yeah, um, let's get that done. Yeah. Well, Larry, we appreciate you and, and just the great work and, um, and, and also your words that it's more than just a plant, right? It's, every, it's how we drive. It's the cars we're buying. It's our homes that aren't. Right. right. They're costing. Right. Climate change is a huge, huge problem. This this will be a major step, uh, but not not the solution. This is one of many things we'll have to do to to uh, to improve to, to reduce our CO two footprint. So, what what's the name of your organization again? Sustainable Energy Solutions. Is there? Do you have a website or anywhere yeah. they could reach you? If you go to sesinnovation.com, and uh, people can. Read all about it there. Pretty good website, actually. Okay. So. Good stuff. Larry Baxter. Appreciate you. Dr. Larry Baxter, the, you know, think of that, folks. 100%. You could reduce a plant's emissions of CO2 and socks and knocks and mercury and every all the other junk going out. Just simply freeze it. Freeze it. Make a nice little slushy. Anyway, we'll take a break, folks. Come back. Uh, continue the discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Everybody to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we uh, we're trying to celebrate Halloween, but it's happening tomorrow. And but Ben didn't get the memo. We're not wearing costumes today. But Ben wore yeah. his. He's got this gingerbread man I thing know. on. He says he's, he's trying to run the his, show. He's going to change his costume every hour. Really? Yeah. It so, was a big investment, but I thought it'd be worth it. Right. Yeah, he really looks. I think he looks great um, for mm-hmm. a gingerbread man. Do you know what I mean? In fact, say that line you always say again. You're a monster. Good job. It's pretty good, isn't it? Pretty it's convincing. Really good. I like how high you can get your voice. Yeah, that's that's a lot of practice. And as we go on here, Matt, I'd like to wish you a happy corn candy day. Oh, I got I you a bag of, a bag of corn candy. 
Are you, do you like corn? I love candy corn. Love candy corn. No, do you really? I do. Okay, let's talk about that. What, what, what exactly do you love? I just like the taste. I, I, it's something I can always eat. Really? Yeah. It's just a sugar wad. I know. It's just a, a wad of sugar. Ball of sugar. My my wife just rolls her eyes and I just eh. today really is. You the you thing, aren't joking. It is candy corn day. The thing that's interesting though is you can almost find candy corn every day of the year. Well, I know. You know where you find it is in your couch. No, at, at the store, they change the color. They change it for Easter. They ah, change it for Christmas. True. They have Thanksgiving ones now that are more like caramel and harvest. They call it the harvest blend, and they just let it roll <laughs> through Thanksgiving. And I, I It's can, great. It, it, it is great. And it's all the same flavor. Whatever the color is, it's all the same sugar. Well, isn't, it's just corn syrup. Yeah, just corn syrup. <laughs> it's the flavor of corn syrup. And they, they – my – right, I can't even talk because my heart rate just went up. Because I just ate one. <laughs> They're really well. You, you eat like four or five at a time. They're sickening, sickeningly sweet. Yes, and people either hate them or absolutely love them. Yeah, true. And I, I saw something just now. Forty-two percent of the people polled in this the survey that was taken, they say the proper way to eat it is to nibble the white part first, which is yeah. right on the tip. Mm-hmm. And then That's there's 18% say you eat the bottom, and then the rest of them are like, I hate corn candy. <laughs> <laughs> They're so negative. Now, if you're handing out corn candy for Halloween, shame on you. Yeah, that's embarrassing. That's an embarrassing kind of candy to <laughs> hand out. Well, you just handed us some. Well, I'm not, you know. You mean at the door. Yeah, at the door. Yeah. So I got found some numbers about okay. Halloween and how much money it's a money America number. spends. It is a huge day to help people get through this quarter on to Christmas. Okay, cool. So, Forbes. Scary. Is the source of all this. Okay. They're scary, too. The average consumer will spend about $75 on everything for Christmas. I so mean for, either for, costumes, decorations, no, you mean for candy. Halloween. Oh, excuse me, for Halloween. I got 75 bucks. 75 bucks. Wow. America spends $7 billion total for yeah. Halloween. This month of Halloween. That's why your, your, your grocery store or whatever uh, takes over an entire aisle middle of September that's to get ready for That's why we have a holiday. There's $2.6 billion spent on costumes. Man. 1.4 for kids, 1.2 for adults total, just on average. So adults are, yeah, that's For the country. 2.8 billion spent on candy. Okay. 1.9 on decorations. Wow. And this was odd. 360 million on greeting cards. What? Halloween greeting cards is apparently a thing. How how much was that Three points, or three, uh, $360 million. Who's, who's sending a card? I don't know. Grandma? Just, oh, my grandma used to give us okay. candy wrapped in a card with a no, it was a, no, it was wrapped in cash. I wonder if it has to do with like Halloween parties for kids. Yeah, probably. Oh, probably. You you put the candy with it's that. A, and, this is a know. racket. You're describing a racket. Yes. Okay. Most holidays and consumerism is a racket. <laughs> uh, the average amount of money spent on costumes is about sixty five dollars. Now that's like for an, uh, for a family for, for a family. So okay. it depends. And, you know, it differs if you're making your costume versus yeah. if you go buy the costume, some more money spent on the kids, less on the adults, right. or vice versa. Uh, $39 is normally the, the purchase per household on candy. 39 bucks of yeah. candy. But this year, prices rose. They were, they were expected to rise 4.2% because uh, the price of raw sugar has gone up globally. Really? So it's become more expensive to get your sugar fix on. Oh, yeah. For whatever reason, that's why per pound candy corn is the best fix. 
Yes. Because there's more sugar. They pack more sugar into a denser amount there. According to CNN, 64% of the country will celebrate Halloween. Yeah, okay. So the rest of them are get off my lawn. What are they doing? Turn off the lights and hide in the house. Um, And there will be 4.2 million trick-or-treaters ages 5 to 14. 4.2 4.2 is there is there a top limit on the age that you should it no just becomes uncom- well i guess when your voice drops as a guy that's probably a good sign <laughs> no that's when you go with the girls and then the girls oh, yeah. say trick or treat i guess it just continues on i i resent that but or you take ben you take ben take ben out he's in college who cares go, go knock on doors monster. google has come up with a website called google frightgeist Ooh. and what it does is you go in and you can put in your whatever character you want to be whatever your your costume is are you a witch are you a ghost you want to be captain america whoever you put that in and it will give you an idea in the country or in your local area about how popular that costume is based on internet searches that come okay. from your area. So you, need, you have a little guide there. So if people are interested, you'll, you'll have an idea like, you know, my, my kid, Captain America. You type that in, it's one of the more popular ones, and it says that you'll probably end up at a party and there will be like five Captain Americas walking around. Or in my case, the kid across the street, he's Captain America too. So you'll see Captain America quite a bit apparently. <laughs> I don't know what, what, do you, what do you think the most popular costume is uh i guarantee it's a donald trump hairpiece no really uh then it's gonna be superhero ish yes or star wars ish it's not iron man captain marvel not captain marvel you probably won't know this one thor harley quinn who harley quinn who is a uh an associate with the joker are you serious? Yeah. Nobody even knows about it. She's in a movie coming up oh, called uh, The Suicide Squad. Okay. And she's nuts. She has a hammer and she hits people with it. Sounds great. Yeah. So and, she, and you, when you when you That's see her, the most popular costume according to Google. Now people, you know, people getting online googling costumes, this is what they're Oh, this is fantastic. This Google guy, Fright Guy site, Tinkerbell's the number one costume um, around Twin Falls, Idaho. Yep, you you can do that too. You click on different locations, it tells you what's going on. This is fun. So the top five: Harley Quinn, Star Wars in general, superhero costumes in general, pirate, Batman, and it goes on to Minnie Mouse, Witch, Minions, Joker, Wonder Woman. So a lot of heroes, cartoons. In Florida, it's a gray wolf. That's weird. That's weird. Gray wolf. But oh, a man. gingerbread man's not on. No, the gingerbread man. You might be safe. Actually, um, yeah, up in Saskatchewan, uh, gingerbreads are huge. <laughs> that it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad. Well, that's great news. Uh, interesting, interesting world we live in that we're spending this much money, billions of dollars. Seven billion. That's crazy. Close to. Let's take a break. We'll come back next hour, give you more ideas, more frightful information here on the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. It is October 30th, Candy Corn Day. Mm-mm, mm-mm-mm. And our own Terry South brought in some candy corn today. Yeah, I uh, stepped up, spent the $1.39, bought I've, a pound of it. I've had three so You were the so bigger far. man. I did what I could. 
I've had three, and I'm all jumpy. Yeah. It's also National Frankenstein Day. Mm. Mm. And Checklist Day. Well, it's Frankenstein Friday Day. Oh, yeah, that's right. Frankenstein Day, apparently, I was reading, is in August. Mary Shelley, the yeah. author of the book, Frankenstein's Monster, or whatever that was called, uh, her birthday is the 30th of August, I think. Or in August. It's 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 more towards you know a warmer period of the, the year. Because, and here's why it's Frankenstein Friday, because Frankenstein starts with an FR and Friday starts with an FR. Yes. That's, see the connection? That's the reasoning for the day. That's another reason why I <laughs> thought it was This is the show where we give you the information Whoa. you need. <laughs> exactly. Look Speaking at that. Speaking of Frankenstein. That's perfect. Look that at guy. that. Thanks, Ben. So FR for Frankenstein, FR for Friday. It, it all it all worked. Now the last know. Friday in October. There you have it. Frankenstein Friday. It's also checklist day. So make a list and check it twice. But uh, it's the eve of the eve of hallowed eve. Isn't t- tomorrow? Yeah, it's the eve, pre-eve of hallowed eve day. Okay. I lost you in, on an eve there. We'll Wikipedia that. Okay. It's um. It'd just be Halloween Eve and tomorrow's Halloween. The eve of the eve would have been yesterday, Thursday. That's a good point. It's the sugar. <laughs> it's these candy corns. They're killing me. Let's don't get bogged down in details. Let's not. Hey, um, crazy news, by the way. Did you hear about the witch? Which witch? The, the witch that wins a protective order against a warlock wow. in Salem. I'm hoping. Yeah, it's Salem, Massachusetts. A judge granted a protective order against a warlock on Wednesday. Mm. This is scary. It is. I thought this was And timely. Gone. And timely. It couldn't have been a better day. <laughs> Spelling relief for the Salem witch who accused him of harassment. So there's a warlock that's harassing a witch in Salem. Where else would you harass a witch? Well, exactly. Okay. The two squared off in court before the Salem District Court judge who granted the protective order to the witch priestess, Lori Svorsa. Hmm. She'd accused the self-proclaimed warlock. By the way, most warlocks have to be self-proclaimed. Is there a warlock? There might be a school. There was a Hogwarts, right? That's a great point. So, She had accused self-proclaimed warlock Christian Day of harassing her over the phone and on social media over the past three years during testimony um, that at times became heated. Sforza accused Day of making incessant phone calls at night and humiliating her on Facebook. By the way... Both things, both are things that warlocks do a lot. Facebook and phone calls, phone, phone harassing, and Facebook. Now, in this case, the judge said that he was very, very surprised and just mind boggled of how many phone calls were actually made. Well, of course, between two people who don't like each other, <laughs> he was like, "What are you people doing? Stop calling each other." Before 2012, Day let Svorsa perform psychic readings rent free at one of his occult shops in Salem. Huh. But, you know, that their relationship fell apart when Sforza revealed plans to start her own witchcraft shop nearby. Competition. It's always business. It's always business. <laughs> the two are still business rivals. During the hearing, Sforza repeatedly told the judge that she can see into her own future, <laughs> saying that why I'm here today. <laughs> this is crazy. Sforza said seven. Uh, by the way, Sforza is 75 years old. She's an old witch. And uses the business name Lori Bruno. And says she is a psychic witch who descends from a line of Italian witches. She oh. also leads a pagan church in Salem. Italian witches. Mm-hmm. Huh. This is great. Yeah, it's great information there. Um, and she can see her own future. 
Yeah. The, the pair, you may have heard of the pair. In 2011, they uh, cast spells together. They, they, they brought their energies together in order to help heal actor Charlie Sheen, who had called himself a Vatican assassin warlock. Now, he didn't ask for help. No. They offered it free of charge. Well, but I, that, that explains a lot about Charlie Sheen, I think. Well, yeah. Possibly he was under a spell. So just know, it's all taken care of. There is a protective order. The warlock should not chase the witch. A fortune-telling witch. And by the way, she knew how it was going to turn out. That's why she kept pushing this in court, because she knows the future. <laughs> she can see her future. Anyway, it, thought, could, it could be worse. I thought that story had a little bit of everything. <laughs> it had a lot of stuff we didn't even need. That's I, a- I cut out a lot of things, because apparently the writer in the uh, the newspaper I was looking at was very uh, entertained. <laughs> very energized by this story, and he put a lot of content in it. Here, here's another Halloween story for you, because um, I know we're into this. Uh, so you know how they put those little spiders out, fake spiders everywhere? Yes. They, S- somebody, yeah. Um, it was April Fool's Day, because they were here in the studio they were in on the, the desk, and mm-hmm. then a couple of them made it into your office. Kimberly Power Stilson is the one that d- did it. So if okay. you ever listen to her show, she brought in spiders. She walked into my office and threw a bunch of spiders at me. Huh. That's nice. I'm going to send her the story because you got to watch out. Because in Logan, West Virginia, a Logan County assistant prosecuting attorney has been indefinitely suspended after a bizarre incident involving a pistol and some fake spiders. Mm. It's a good mix. Here we go. The bug crawling around. You love that sound. That gives me chills. The alleged incident happened on October 5th after several secretaries in the office decorated it for Halloween. The decorations included many fake spiders that were throughout the office. Apparently, the assistant prosecutor, Chris White, has an arachnophobia. (laughs) Ooh, did you hear that? And he became irate over the decorations. It's unnerving. He said they had spiders every... uh, he, He said they had spiders every place. And he told them it wasn't funny. And he couldn't stand them. And he did indeed get a gun out. It had no clip in it. Of course, they wouldn't know that. I wouldn't either if I hadn't looked at it, to tell you the truth. That's what the prosecutor, John Bennett, explained. Anyway, the guy pulled a gun out, waved his gun around. I can't stand these spiders. Get these spiders out of the office. Bit of an overreaction. Bit of an overreaction. But he's an arachnophobic. Well, sure. What are you supposed to do? If that's a thing. Can you turn those spiders off? Yeah, turn that off. That's creepy. And then the fact that you can hear them make, like, screeching noises. Those are big spiders. Uh, but I wouldn't pull a gun out. You're a prosecutor, for heaven's sakes. Yeah, well, later the uh, the uh, district attorney said, okay, no more guns in the office yeah. except for our uh, investigator that goes yeah. out and investigates cases for them. Uh, so nobody can have guns in the West Virginia district attorney office there in Logan County. Well, what about the women in the office, the ladies that are throwing spiders around everywhere? Right. They're needed to – maybe they're going to say no more parties. Yeah. We're decorating for Halloween or any <laughs> holidays because someone may have a, a tree phobia come Christmas time. We don't want that. That's just tragic. <laughs> Crazy. Um, anyway, see, folks, it could be worse. You could you could have some guy brandish a weapon because at your you, Halloween party. You have some fake spiders. I'd put the spiders away. Hey, uh, interesting news. So we, we hope you have a happy holiday. In a minute, we're going to be talking with Christine Dixon who is um, an addiction recovery expert. She's going to be just talking to us about addictions and the impact it has on families. Um, um, But before we do that, let's get to the headlines with Terry.
Thanks, Matt. New Speaker Paul Ryan was handed the gavel, officially took over for John Boehner on Thursday. Ryan's first speech was a call for the restoration of order. He also asked for more civility from House members. So if you ever pray, let's pray for each other. Republicans for Democrats and Democrats for Republicans. And I don't mean pray for a conversion. All right. He wants better cooperation. <laughs> I pray for a conversion too. Isn't that great? He's he's bl- bringing them all together. So he's talking about you know we're not talking about settling scores or laying blame. We want to solve problems. It's and cool. he said he wants to wipe the slate clean and let's get to the business of the people. By the way, if he succeeds at this and really can unify the house and get him working again, he'll be the president someday. Maybe. Mark my words. Mark, write that down, Ben. He'll be the president someday. It won't be a uh, a, 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 situ- a career-ending no. position that it is for most people, That's apparently. Right. Uh, to help him in his efforts, the Senate approved a two-year budget deal, and they sent it off to the White House. The vote in the Senate 64-35 followed a similar lopsided approval in the House on Wednesday. The Bipartisan Budget Act of 2015, apparently that's the official name of it, raises the debt limit set to be hit on November 3rd through 2017. It sets spending levels through the end of fiscal 2017, including those included in those limits is an $80 billion easing of the 2011 budget caps on the military and social spending. A man from Cross Lanes, West Virginia, called 911 and said he needed help for his drug addiction after watching President Obama address on the matter in Charleston. When police visited the house after uh, repeated return calls from 911 operators, they discovered a cooler filled of drugs and uh, digital scales. Instead of charging the man, he was taken to a rehab clinic. Hmm. So he watched President Obama give a speech yeah. and decided he needed to make a change in his life. And then apparently 911 didn't believe him. Oh. And after repeated phone calls, they sent somebody over and they and they took him to rehab instead of arresting him. That's great. So that's interesting there. Um and finally, state police. So we, we heard about that blimp. Yeah, the blimp. The blimp that was in Maryland. It's a radar right. blimp, essentially. Governor Huckabee made a great reference to it. He did have a great analogy to the, to the, the bloat of government. Do you know what that thing cost? Yeah, yeah, but not a, uh, billions. It's not that one blimp. The system is actually two blimps. There's some ground yeah. units, the tether and Blimplets. all that stuff. One is a... Radar, one is like an early detection for if the, an enemy missile is fired yeah. type of thing. So it's a it's a involved situation. $2.7 billion system. And the tether broke. And, and, and CBS News <laughs> The 50-cent tether broke. <laughs> CBS News has this video where they interviewed the guy when they put the system up. And the, the guy that was in, kind of working on the system, oh, yeah, this tether's great. There's no way this is going to break. He grabs it. He <laughs> shakes it. Here it is. You know, And, of course, the thing's floating all over the East Coast. The, uh, was it yesterday? <laughs> Um, so it ends up floating north to rural Pennsylvania before landing in trees. So it's just in the trees. Yeah. And do you know how they got it down? It's a, okay, 240 foot long aircraft. Well, this thing I, is massive. I would assume, though, if it's a $2.7 billion, you would have a button, okay. like a 50 cent button that takes the helium out of it. Right. Or some process, yeah. some yeah. way of, of. Maybe a monkey that runs up the no. line and. Okay. L- local sheriffs took their shotgun and shot the blimp. Did they really? <laughs> That's how they got it down. Were, did they have permission to do that? I don't know, but it just says they took the cops took their shotguns and they <laughs> shot the two point seven billion dollar radar. I got blimp. this, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's all they got it down. They you probably know, didn't shoot crazy. the the important no. uh, tech, you know, technology hanging from underneath it. They shot the blimp, but still. But here's something else I heard. You know those tethers because those tethers are like thousands of feet long because yes. it's it goes up it, ten it, miles yeah, or whatever it is, ten thousand feet. But those tethers, they they're electrically charged. Because as they're flying through space, they're picking up electrons and whatever, and it's charged. Uh-huh. So if you grab a tether, it's gonna get you're, you. you'll it's gonna die, you. apparently. <laughs> so, you know, you're lucky somebody – and it was, it was also catching on all the power lines, power lines taking down power feet. grids. I didn't, I didn't realize how big this thing was. It was like, what, like two football fields? Yeah, it's just so big. And then the fact that they took it down with shotguns. That's pretty funny. <laughs> You know, that's all you need is some country bumpkins. I got this. I'll fix it. I can take it out. <laughs> Do not fire that gun at a $2.7 billion device. Interesting. They, see, thank heavens for Americans. We can make anything happen. Mm. Good stuff. Hey, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we wanted to talk about addiction. And uh, we've, we're bringing in an expert today. Christine Dixon is going to be joining us on the phone. She's going to be talking um, about families and the support that families can offer in addiction because it's hard. You don't want to enable the addict, right? You don't want to also just abandon them. So we're going to ask her about the fine points of being a family member when one of your family members is suffering with an addiction. And she is going to be talking to us. Um, she has uh, been working at an addiction recovery center called Renaissance Ranch, and she'll be giving us some of the tips of the trade. So stick with us, folks. Uh, up next, Christine Dixon. We're talking addiction. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, addiction can affect everyone close to an addict, especially their family. And it it can also put a huge financial strain on the family. And members can develop harmful coping mechanisms, long-term emotional damage. As much as families can be hurt by the addiction, they are also a crucial part of the recovery process. So joining us today is Christine Dixon who has worked in addiction recovery for years. She teaches the family support group meetings at an outpatient recovery center and um, called Renaissance Ranch. And she joins us now live on the phone to to, uh, help us understand a little bit better the power the family can have to help heal. Uh, Christine Dixon, thank you for being on the show today. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for inviting me. You bet. This This is a big deal because, I mean, a lot of us... We, we may know someone suffering from addiction. We may know, um, but we, I don't think most of us actually know what we're supposed to do. We want to love them. We want to be a support to them. But we're kind of left, we're kind of left in la-la land, not quite knowing what to do. Is that a pretty normal experience, Christine? Well, it was for me. I, uh, nine years ago when I found out I have five kids and my two oldest sons, um, became addicted to heroin. And boy, when I found that out, I didn't have a clue of what to do to help them. Yeah. I, I mean, I was scared to death. And, um, um, and you know what? The best thing that was ever told to me, I am so grateful. 
I had a, a gentleman at my church who said, you know what, just start going to these 12-step meetings, you know? Yeah. And I, said, and I was kind of embarrassed when I called him on the phone, and I said, well, I, I, it's not my husband and I, you know, it's my boys. Right. And he said, well, you'll become, you'll start to gain an education, and you'll start to learn the things that are helpful, the things that are hurtful, and... Uh, and, and you don't even need to be... You don't need you don't need to be the the one suffering addiction, but you'll hear what's being said. You'll start to gain the understanding and learn the tools of the twelve steps. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I didn't know you could recover from addiction. I was scared to death. So when I went to my first meeting, it was so wonderful to see people in that meeting who were so honest and willing to share their experiences. And it was just a regular twelve step meeting, and. It, it one thing it softened our hearts and helped us understand what our boys were going through, mm. and we began every meeting we went to. We started to learn from from all the people in the room who had, who had a lot more experience in recovery than we did, and it seemed like every meeting we went to, we started to learn, yeah, tools and principles and and skills that would would help us. But it kind of opened up this door of communication with our boys. There was this huge disconnect before we got involved in recovery and we didn't know how to talk to them mm. about their addiction or what they were going through and and I think they were really you know they had a lot of shame they were very embarrassed they didn't want their mom to worry they didn't want to disappoint their dad so as soon as they um as soon as they started talking about it we started going to meetings it opened up a whole new world we could communicate we could kind of speak their language they felt safe um and, and you, so I have so much respect for twelve-step programs. And and I guess is is the twelve-step program that you went to the same type of program you facilitate as as a family support meeting? Yes, yes. Are you talking about the treatment center? Yeah. Yes, we. You know what's so interesting? There was a comment made by a very wise man who said that um, a study of the doctrines or principles of the gospel will improve behavior quicker than a study of behavior will improve behavior. Mm, that's right. And it's so interesting because even Bill W., who was the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we know Alcoholics Anonymous has been around since the 30s. Right. And it has held millions of people um, who have struggled with alcoholics. Well, it's been so successful that people all around the country have adopted so many different 12-step programs based on you know, specific addictions. Mm -hmm. You can see um, 12-step meetings for codependency. You can see 12-step meetings for um, narcotic addiction, for sex addiction, for tobacco, for Mm. food disorders. Because what is so phenomenal and miraculous is the 12 steps actually help heal all forms of addiction. Yeah. Which is so exciting. And it's, it was because it was based in these, these basic principles and, and the guy, I don't even know that Bill W. He wasn't a therapist, was he? He was no. He was he just was a alcoholic. guy, an alcoholic. Yeah, he had struggled for um, years and years to get sober, and uh, he he um, basically became friends with a, a physician, Doctor Bob, and they were devout spiritual men who were in a pattern of meditation and prayer. And um, he, I feel like he was divinely inspired. He came up with these 12 steps. And 
um, he himself has, has said, you know, the basis, the foundation of recovery has to be a spiritual one. Mm. And so <clears throat> when I was introduced to the 12 steps, I was just so fascinated, and I started interviewing a lot of people with addiction and saying, how did you get sober? You know, how did you get sober? And um, nine out of ten times it would be, well, I, I found a 12-step program. You know, I had to find God in my life. And it's interesting, nine years later, I, I had an opportunity, I've had an opportunity with my church to do 12-step meetings. I've done hundreds and hundreds of meetings at the jail, the prison, local mm. churches, so it's just a unique perspective because I've been able to hear just hundreds of people um, kind of share their view. Oh, my phone is kind of cutting out. But yeah, yeah just to hear their perspective. And I just haven't met one that could maintain long-term, long-term sobriety without God, oh, without yeah. a spiritual awakening. Well, let's do, let's do this, Christine. Let's take a break. Give you. We'll check out on your phone and then we'll come back. And I'd love to hear about um, about the impact that the family can have on this process and, and some of the principles that we need to be understanding about going through this process with people we love. Uh, more with Christine Dixon. We're talking about addiction and family support and your crucial, crucial part that we play as family members with somebody that's going through an addiction and how to balance those roles Um, And what are the principles behind it? We'll get into all of that. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, make it through this crazy thing we call life. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Stick with us. To the Matt Townsend Show. You know, everybody in, in our lives, whether the coworkers, friends, neighbors, our own children, someday we will all confront somebody that's suffering with an addiction. And uh, it's, it's a really painful experience because you, you're losing this person you care about. You feel like there's nothing you can do. And yet uh, there is so much that you can do as a family member. Um, and there's other things you probably ought not do. And we wanted to bring in an expert that could walk us through what what we can do as family members to help those that are suffering with addiction. Christine Dixon joins us. She has been uh, teaching and working um, addiction recovery programs and has been doing that work for years. She has a bachelor's degree from Brigham Young University. She's been married 32 years to the love of her life, Rick. They have five children. Two of her children, I believe, eventually became addicted to heroin, which is what, what got got Christine in the in the uh, the program and, and these programs, uh, whether it's a 12-step program or other kind of family, um, you know, kind of uh, support groups. And she's here to give us all of her great insight. Christine, thank you for joining us again. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me. You bet. I, I really appreciate your help because we we feel helpless as family members, as parents. One of the things you've already told us is um, as soon as you can and you find out somebody that's dear to you is um, suffering with addiction is go get involved in a 12-step program so you can start understanding. Even if you're not the addict, you can start to learn how to support and, and, and go through the process with your, with your loved ones. 
Right, exactly. That's right. You know what's so exciting is um, we've been working with family members at the ranch for about three years now, and I, I, I see these family members. I see their faces. It reminds me of me, you know, years ago, and they yeah. come in, and there's just so much hopelessness and despair. And and for me, my mind was just constantly obsessing. You know, what can I do to help them? I just felt like a hamster on a spinning wheel. And um, as, as you start getting involved in these meetings, and now for family members, there's a great program called Al-Anon, and it's a family program that was started by the Alcoholics Anonymous program 70 years ago. And it's interesting, um, when they started having meetings for people with addiction, they found out that the family members needed help and, and healing just as much yeah. as their addicted family members. So. Um, when you start getting involved in these programs, these meetings, and I know a lot of local churches have family programs now, but you start to learn the things not to do, the enabling, the shaming. Yeah, talk about that because the enabling the enabling's one thing, the shaming is another, and it seems like some of this, the enabling is just me trying to love them and support them, and the shaming is me trying another way to get them to stop. Walk us through those. Okay, before I do, I just want to share just real quick the value of family members getting involved because I think a lot of times they don't see that there's a connection between them and their loved one getting sober. So what we see is when family members start to become educated on these these principles of recovery and they learn what to do and what not to do, we see so much more success. In fact, the National Institute of Drug Abuse did a nationwide study with families suffering from addiction, and they discovered when a family member will also get involved in recovery hmm. along with their addicted family member, that the loved one suffering from the addiction has a likelihood, uh, increased likelihood of finding long-term sobriety by 80%. Oh, wow. And, and, and you know what? It's true. Yeah. That's what I have totally, I've totally seen that with families. And not only that, but sometimes... Sometimes our loved ones will choose to get in recovery, and sometimes they don't. But the beautiful magic is that if if the individual, if the family member chooses to get involved in recovery, they can find hope and healing for themselves, regardless of the choices that are made by their loved ones. They can get to a point where they can have happiness and joy. See, when I started, I remember feeling like I was in a tunnel. I remember hearing people laugh and thinking to myself, oh, I remember when I used to laugh like that. I'll never laugh like that again. I mean, I was just in so much depression and despair. And then you start going to these meetings and you say, oh my gosh, you know what? This is a reality. People do find sobriety. And, and, And it's a resource. You find all these people in these meetings who have been you know, in recovery way longer than you, and you learn. Every meeting I went to, I learned something new. Is it? So let's get back to the enabling and the shaming. Yeah, but so, and, and what's interesting, though, as, as I hear this, I think one of the reasons why a family member n- might not choose to get involved is because they may feel like they were the cause of the addiction. Oh. So they're like, and especially if the person's telling them that, the only reason Mm -hmm. I do this is because you don't love me. You don't accept me. So they think, okay, I better stay away. Exactly. Yeah. And and I, and really we, we, that's how I felt too. And that's why when you start getting involved in recovery, you start getting a little bit more confidence and you come to understand that, you know, you're not responsible for their addiction. You didn't cause it. You can't control it. You can't cure it. But 
there are ways that we do contribute to it right. for sure right. in yeah. good, good and bad ways. And so that's where I think families have a lot more success when they are willing to learn and become educated mm. about recovery. And it's been said that addiction is a family disease, and I believe that wholeheartedly because it's just this vicious cycle. And as we, if we keep doing the hurtful things, the enabling, the shaming things, it causes cravings in their loved ones, yeah. and, and they they can't control that. They cannot control that emotional bleeding, that craving. And as soon as they get into that mode, they want to numb out the pain. You know, just like we numb out through denial or or whatever our drug of choice is. You know, we all have a way of coping with stress. Right. And some of us do it in healthy ways. We exercise, or or we call a good friend, or or whatever. But and then some of us kind of fall into these traps of unhealthy ways. And so it's just an educational process, but it is a very successful one if the family members are willing to get involved. Absolutely. So enabling then is is what? Okay, the best way I, I heard the definition of enabling is when you do something for someone else that they can and should do for themselves. Hmm. That's enabling. And it's hard because we think, you know, um, well, I love them, you know, and shouldn't I be helping them? It's, there's a really fine line between helping and hurting. And that's why, again, I just urge people to just, you know, go to a meeting, start going to some of these meetings, and you learn, you start to learn what to do and what not to do. And it becomes pretty clear. And especially if you're spiritually minded and you can ask God, you know, to help you. I just felt like the Lord was leading me by the hand. And so quickly, once all those secrets came out, you know, once, and I don't think my boys would ever told my husband and I that they had a heroin addiction because we started going to meetings before they did. So we came to understand that addiction is a disease. Right. It's a, it's a literal midbrain disease. And I think that was the number one most important thing for us to learn is that they were not purposely, you know, trying to ruin us or themselves. And yes, they did make bad choices in the beginning, but they didn't choose to have a midbrain disease any more than a diabetic. You know, someone who eats too much sugar, they don't choose to have diabetes. Right. It's the same thing. So it took a lot of judgment and criticism. Um, out of the equation for my husband and I, it softened our hearts. And I think they felt safe. That That is a huge step, it. isn't it? Because then it's not about, we don't have to judge a disease. We don't judge, we don't judge somebody that is a diabetic. Exactly. We're not like, oh, look at that lazy diabetic. Oh, yeah. Go get rid of that tumor. Go I get know. rid of that cancer. But that, that, so, and that's, I think, the big jump is most people just think it's a character flaw. It's a weakness. Right. Versus and they do, too. And they do, too. They feel so hopeless. Yeah. They feel like, I have tried, you know, hundreds of times to stop this. I must just be a weak person. Well, that's a lie. They have a midbrain disease. They're not a bad person who needs to be good. They're a sick person who needs appropriate help to become well. So let me ask you, because if that's a great, I think, paradigm for this. If So me enabling, if I if I give money and support or uh, whatever, if I facilitate a diabetic to just keep eating horrible food that will eventually kill them and not take care of their blood sugar levels, that's enabling. The same would be if I do the same thing with a drug addict, if I keep enabling with money or whatever, their ability Mm -hmm. to just keep getting the drug, that's enabling. Well, you bring up a really good point because when we think about this as being a midbrain disease, what happens when they're in the midbrain? It's that fight or flight part of your brain, right? And and your brain actually triggers that drug of choice or that behavior, 
it's, it's a chemical phenomenon in the brain, but it triggers that as survival. So, for example, it becomes more important than food, water, um, anything. It's, it's the most important thing in your life. And my, my one son was a 185 linebacker on a football team, and nine months later, he was 120, 125 pounds. Um, and so what happens with that midbrain, it shuts down the frontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that helps them see consequences. It's where their personality, their values, their morals are. And so what happens with parents, what we have to learn in spouses, any loved ones, we have to learn that the only thing that will help our loved ones recognize that they need to get help is to allow the consequences of, of their choices. And, and it's a fine line sometimes you have to go by the spirit. But if they feel the consequences, you know, jail, um, maybe losing a job, those kinds of things, if they feel those consequences, then they, they get to a point where they think, you know what, maybe I do need some help. Mm. And we were taught the best thing we could do to help our loved ones is work on our own recovery. But it, part of that was learning how not to enable, how to set boundaries, how to um, uh, allow those consequences, which was so hard for me. Oh, yeah. So hard for me. But um, when you do, it's the best thing we can do to help them recognize. And there's a fine line in that, too. And you have to, you know, go by the Spirit. But um, really, we want to encourage recovery. We can support them in recovery, but we cannot support them in their addiction. And then this so. this seems to get into, like, a lot of the codependency patterns. And one that I see a lot in my work with couples is... I mean, it might be, or even with an addiction, a parent a parent wants to be loved by their children, so they might keep providing the money, the resources that enable them to have their addiction. Uh-huh. Um, or, they, I mean, the parent may judge their child for being an addict. The child then uses the judgment as a way to blame them for the addiction, and then mm-hmm. the parent wants to please their child but still judges them. And it creates this codependent relationship where one needs the other so much that they can't help heal the other. Right. And there's so many faces of codependency. But the thing that I want to help parents out there understand and loved ones, spouses, it is so important to recognize that addiction is chronic, it's progressive, and it's fatal. It, that we're talking about our loved ones are enmeshed, or they are just entrenched in a very deadly disease. It's critical, vital that we learn these things because over over 16 of my son's friends are dead. Mm. And and this is and I don't want to do this to cause alarm, and but I I want people to understand this is a serious disease. And um, the sooner it's you know a lot of people think, and I did too. Well, you know, until they hit rock bottom, there's nothing I can do. Well, that is a myth, and with addiction, rock bottom is death. And so it's just like any disease. The sooner we become educated about it, the sooner we get involved, the sooner our loved ones can start to heal. Yeah. And that's a message that we need to put out there. It, this is a serious thing. It's not, it's not about being their best friend. It's about, you know, keeping your loved one alive. And you know what? Today my boys have been sober seven, eight years, they're giving back in the hmm. community. They both help. One runs um, an inpatient, the Renaissance Match inpatient treatment center. The other does the outpatient treatment center. They're helping hundreds and hundreds of people and families. But, you know, if we went and got involved and learned these things and and uh, someone told me, you know, treat this as though your son has cancer. And I thought, wow, what would I do if my son had cancer? Well, I would probably research the best 
doctor, the best medicine, you know, the best information I could. And I think that people need to understand that rock bottom thing, that is not true. You need to get involved as soon as possible. Yeah, no, absolutely. What are some other principles or practices that uh, you've found as a mom um, that that pretty much any of us can do when it comes Mm -hmm. to kind of working with our child to – to, to more quickly, you know, create some impact? Well, I think the best thing we can do is work our own recovery. I mean, we, we were so hungry. We, one of our sons had a relapse after about a year and a half. And he went into the Renaissance Ranch, and we had a family support educator. She's phenomenal. Boy, if you want to talk to a real expert, she's, an, she's amazing. But she, we were so hungry to know, you know, what is the best thing I can do? You know, what's the best thing we can do for our sons? And she just beat it into our heads. The best thing we can do is work on our own recovery. Because a big part of my issues, and you can you can talk to my husband someday. His was, was shaming. You know, he was really into the shame thing, subconsciously not recognizing. And that's probably the second biggest thing that we learned that helped our family was to, that shame is the core center of all addiction. Hmm. And as we were shaming, it was creating those cravings, those, that, that big trigger that one might sense to you. So for me, it was my fear. Yeah. And so as I started working on my own program, and it's a spiritual pro- those 12 steps are to help re- rid our own shame and to help us to heal. And there's 12, there are 12 very spiritual-based principles that help us. My fear was so big that I did feel like, well, let me do it for you. You know, let me follow up on, you know, all the things you were supposed to do, you know, to get back into your treatment center. Right. Or let me, you know, let me call your boss or let me, whatever it is, all the enabling stuff was driven by my fear, which was a lack of faith and trust in my higher power. Yeah. You know, yeah. and as I began working those steps, I began to develop a very personal relationship with my God, you know, that really, really helped me to understand his love. And as I began to feel that for myself, then I came to understand that he would help my sons. And I began to let go and let God. That's mm. a big Al-Anon phrase, let yeah. go and let God. And really, by lowering my fear and standing aside, I felt like my boys were able to heal much, much faster. Oh. I was actually getting in the way of God. Yeah, no, <laughs> and, and that's that's what happens, doesn't it? It's, yeah, our fear, like you say, our shame. Um, our embarrassment about the whole thing could could totally get in the way. As we wrap um, this up, would you just give us some? I mean, you've had so many stories through your life and all of the people um, you've gone through these, this program with. There's hope, right? So, just share with us a story, any story you feel comfortable with about where, from you know, rags to riches, from the hardship to the peace. How have you seen? Um, addiction recovery actually take place? Well, again, I just have to come back to my personal experience that, um, you know, nine years ago, I thought I was happy. Um, I thought our family was okay. But today, we are so much happier. There's no shaming in our family. There's a lot more love, understanding, compassion. I have so much more confidence just working through those 12 steps for myself. I just, I'm a whole different person, and I'm so grateful today that addiction came into my life and into my son's lives. I, I mean, I pray for God to take it away, 
but I have seen how he's turned their, their weaknesses into strengths, and he's helped me. I feel so much stronger and happier and, and whole. And don't we all just want to feel peace in our lives? Yeah. You know, and, and that's why we're just so passionate about 12-step programs and about, um, you know, treatment centers that, that really understand that it's about healing the whole family. Um, and it's for me, when I was looking for treatment centers for my boys, it, it was so important that I found a place that did really understand the family component because that's the big missing piece to the puzzle is that families have got to get involved. Oh, yeah. And aftercare is so important. If, if you've got a loved one struggling, you know, try to find a place where they can get appropriate treatment, includes the families. They have an aftercare program. Um, our program is a whole year-long program. So um, these patterns of behavior have been going on some, for some people years and years and years. Most people start in junior high yeah. experimenting with drugs and alcohol. And so a 30-day treatment program, even a 60-day, you know, that, that may not cut it. We offer outpatient programs that are way less expensive than inpatient. There's a place for inpatient, though. Both of my sons felt like they would have died if they didn't go to an inpatient program. But um, our program is a three-month inpatient, then they have an outpatient for three months, and they have six months of aftercare. Mm, or we have an, a year-long outpatient program. And um, it's, it's phenomenal. We see a ton of success. But I get more excited about the family members because we're yeah. helping heal relationships. That's right. So what, what's more sacred than that? And healing precious relationships between the husband and wife or between parents and their children. That's right. And saving families and keeping everyone uh, together. Christine Dixon, we appreciate your insight, your great work there. Um, a couple of places that I found you can go uh, go to familiesbattlingaddiction.com. That's a, a website that Christine has. Or you can go to renaissanceranch.net, renaissanceranch.net. Two wonderful resources um, for you and your family to learn more about this. Don't give up, though. Uh, just even according to Christine, get rid of the fear, lose the shame, and, and get the help you need. 12-step program pretty much anywhere in the world nowadays might be another great place to start. Excellent stuff. We're learning, folks, helping you find uh, the tools you need to get through the troubles you're facing in your life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break, do a quick Coach's Corner when we come back. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, um, just a little uh, quick coach's corner on our last guest, Christine. You know, addiction, it's everywhere, right? It's, but truly, folks, we got we to gotta mature up a bit. I mean, the idea, and I, I can't tell you, oh, how frustrated it makes me to see people that don't get that there are real medical issues going on with an addiction, or with anxiety. I mean, to have somebody say, yeah, someone with anxiety, they just, you know, they just, I don't believe that. Oh, my heavens. Are you kidding me? Um, there's, there's medical issues. And what's happening is some people still want to live in the 50s or 60s where we, we just thought it was a lack of character. But at some point, we have to also deal with the medical information we're getting. People's brains are different when they're having, when they're in the addiction, when they're caught up in this, they actually have, uh, you know, a midbrain disease. 
they have a fight or flight issue going on and it's an it's an actual disease we've even had other guests on the show that talk about the gene that might be that it's passed down i mean we got to get real about it and the other thing that is so interesting to me too is um what we really need to start looking at are our fears and the shame about it. The minute you start having shame because your child's a drug addict, you're going to go silent. And when you go silent, you're going to keep secrets. And the secrets are going to just fester and fester and fester. And um, that's the same thing that's keeping the addict the addict, their shame, their fears, their secrets. So then they go medicate instead of sharing their 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 secrets, right, their shame. Or the fear. And so be careful because if if you're not exercising your faith or your belief in a higher power, if you believe in a higher power, and you still have incredible faith or fear, then you probably need to go get more into your God. There's a reason that one of the greatest programs out there is a 12-step pro, pro, uh, the 12-step process and um, the 12-step program. And there's a reason it's all founded and based in God. Um, in the end, I... It it all starts with God. And so if you have a ton of fear, then you got to get back to your God, right, if that's your belief system. Um, anyway, folks, we need to be much more supportive, much more inviting. If you've got family and friends that are struggling through this, the last thing they need is more judgment from you. And you may not get that. So go get help yourself and understand what they're going through. Find somebody that understands you, too, to help you explain it. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Back next hour, more ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side, getting you ready for Halloween. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm. The holiday that uh, sells billions of dollars of candy. And it's it's tomorrow, folks. Get ready. Keeps dentists in business. Keeps dentists in business. All kinds of cavities. Uh, by the way, I have a. We are on baby watch. My granddaughter, my first grandchild, is about is due to be born. Actually, four days ago. Any updates this morning? No, I haven't okay. heard a thing. Uh, apparently, nothing is to report. But my daughter is seriously angry because she bought a, a costume for the baby, and she's not going to be able to use it after tomorrow. She feels really. Oh, come on! I know. It's a minion. The, she's going to dress my grandbaby, brand new, perfect baby when she's born like a minion. Even even if – when was she due? A couple days Monday. ago? Last Monday. Last Monday. Last Monday? So even if the baby was born on Monday, your wife or your daughter wouldn't really be in the mood to do much by Halloween. Well, no, but you can just sit there and put her in a costume and then take pictures. Oh, but I'm like, just do the same thing. My wife would so never So if she's that. born next week – you just take a picture of her in her minion costume. By that point, my wife, I'd come home from work, and she just looks at me, and she goes, it does nothing all day. It just <laughs> sleeps and cries. No. <laughs> I'm like, how about I take they the kid eat. for a minute? They eat, too. <laughs> hey, um, if you want a really fun website, go to – go just Google Google Frightgeist, the word Frightgeist, and Google. Frightgeist. Geist. 
Frightgeist. It's a searchable. It's one word. Searchable map of Google searches across the country and what people are looking at for costumes. You can see the number one co- search costume in your area. By the way, San Francisco Bay Area, Star Wars. Star Wars. So you know what? I wouldn't go to a party in the Bay Area wearing a Star Wars outfit. If you want something unique. Everyone's going to be doing it. In Santa Barbara, California, pirates. Of course. They're right there on the ocean. <laughs> of course. Uh, Los Angeles, Star Wars. Yeah. So you got to think. you got to think out of the box. If you're going in Alaska, pi- don't go as a pirate. Notice all of the uh, coastal cities, they're big in pirates. Well, there's boats. Superheroes t- seem to be the bigger thing going on in Nebraska. Hmm. Uh, and Harley Quinn, which I had never heard of, but is for a, a lot of you Comic-Con crazies. There's a good way to put it. Harley Quinn is a... An associate of the Joker. Yeah. A minion of the Joker. By the way, this is kind of freaky. Michigan, clowns. Clowns are scary. Maine, clowns. Yeah. Uh, that's just scary. I I just found that the gingerbread man is the 430th most popular costume. You're safe. Yeah. Probably won't see one of those. By the way, it was huge in the 60s. Now you just have to find a party to go to. <laughs> Talk about creepy. The just gingerbread wa- man. He's just waddling around the streets. Feed me. <laughs> Feed me. Um, anyway, so that's going on. We also, we got to talk about uh, candy. Okay, do you guys have a favorite candy bar? That you, like, when you go to a door as a kid, when they had this candy bar, you're like, booyah, it's, it's money. It's not, not a candy bar. What? Milk Duds. Yeah, those are great. I love the Milk Duds. I milk Duds and Whoppers a close second. <sighs> not a fan of the Whopper. Really? No. The, by the way, Whoppers work incredibly well in a mousetrap. <laughs> if you need a mousetrap, you got to get the sticky kind, which are kind of not humane. But um, mousetrap. Because they also last forever. Yes. It, yeah. I always like the Whoppers more than the Milk Duds. Mm. Did you really? What is your deal? Milk Duds is in the Bible. They called it manna. I think they were called manna duds. I think it was different. Was than, it? Yeah. It was different than a Milk Dud? Yeah, more of a bread-like tortilla thing, but that's <laughs> okay. fine. I, sorry, I must have misread that. Uh, Snickers candy bars. Caramel. Ten most popular Halloween candy. Snickers, mm. number one. Number two, Kit Kat. That's good. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Number three, so this one surprises me. Dove promises silky smooth dark chocolate. Mm. That it's, has mother written all over it. It does, because that's what my, my wife likes. When she wants candy, that, I, I get that for her. See, that's one. I've never had my kids say, Dad, can I have a Dove promises the, silky smooth the, dark chocolate? Then you unwrap it, and there's a positive affirmation inside the wrapper. Oh, is there really? Yeah. Makes you feel good about it. Yeah, you're like, oh, look at that. It's great. (laughs) Then you get Brock's candy corn. Candy corn. uh, A little bit of Iowa and every bite. Mm. You get uh, then Nestle Butterfinger bars. Mm. Milky Ways. Yeah, those are good. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Peanut Butter Cup Miniatures. Snack Size. Crunch Bars. And Twix is the 10th. That surprises me. Twix would be my second after Snickers. And I, they don't even have mine on here. The hundred is it the hundred grand bar? I believe yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. It used to be the hundred thousand dollar bar. There used to be. A, do you guys remember this? There used to be a candy bar called a marathon bar. I believe so. Yeah. That would stretch. You could stretch it. Hmm. And it had chocolate and caramel. What, what's your opinion of the Charleston Chew? I am a fan of it now. Okay. Never a fan of it when I was young. A lot of nougat in there. Yeah. Yeah. I love I love anything with a nougaty center. Do you freeze your candy bars? No. 
Why would you do that? My father always did. And then he'd cut them up and you'd have little hard chunks of candy to eat instead of a mushy well, no, candy bar. Ne- but now we have miniatures. Well, I know, but this was back in the day. Yeah. I don't freeze anything. <laughs> he just tosses it in the fridge and there was always like a Snickers bar in there for my dad. <sighs> Those were good days. And then you guys trade, I'm sure, right? You, did you ever trade your candy? See, but I was the youngest, so I always got ripped off. I would take it to school and like oh. trade lunches for it. Like, I'd have smart. my lunch, and then I'd, I'd see, oh, that was pretty good, and I'd give him a bag of candy, and then I'd get better food. Candy for your lunch. Well, I'd come home, and I'd always get my sister's one. My oldest sister would take all the Snickers, and we'd divide up the candy. She'd get all the good stuff, and then I'd always get – I, now I can't stand them. So would you take all your candy and put it into a big pile and then uh-huh. divvy it up? No, no, no. We would take our own candy, and we'd barter and negotiate. Okay. My my problem was that my parents were like the mob bosses, and they took a tax out of everybody's oh, yeah. candy. We call it a tithing. There's a house. video on BuzzFeed. I'll see if I can find it because it's funny. But they talk about the parent tax. You have to keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they also talk about if you take all your candy and just dump it in a pile and then divvy it out from there, that's wrong. It's communism. Knock it off. This is America. <laughs> it's, it's a free-for-all for us. <laughs> <laughs> see, all the lessons you can teach your family. By doing this, um, do you like uh, Three Musketeers? I don't like it, but I actually, that's the candy bar I hate because that's the one I would always end up with. Okay. I'd get 500 Three Musketeers, and my sisters would take all of my other candy. It was wrong. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> you haven't recovered, it sounds like. I haven't. I'm Still mad. Hate you. I'm mad. Let's go uh, do a quick review of the headlines. What's going on, Terry, around the world? Uh, early this morning, a fugitive accused of shooting a Tennessee police officer and firing a Kentucky trooper was killed in a shootout with authorities. So that manhunt has come to an end. A aircraft at the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport in Florida uh, caught fire, had, a, had a, what appeared to be a fuel leak. Another airplane spotted it, notified the tower. They told the airplane they started making preparations to move back to the uh, gateway as a fireball exploded from the airplane. Good, it happened on the ground. It was headed to Venezuela, so that would have been uh, uh, a stressing flight for people, I imagine. Totally. Uh, Speaker of the House Paul Ryan was officially handed his gavel yesterday, taking over for John Boehner. His job was made a little bit easier as the Senator approved a two-year budget deal and sent it on to the White House to be approved, so the House doesn't have to worry about sort of shutdowns or any problems Woo! that way until 2017. A gift from John Boehner. New this morning, Jeb Bush's team sent out a 45-page companion or campaign menu, memo to select members of the media, but the U- U.S. News was able to obtain a full, uncensored 112-page report. Has all sorts of details they probably didn't want getting out. <laughs> the Iowa caucus is February 1st, 93 days away. Bush's campaign has set the goal of receiving 18 0.45% of the vote, more than double the 8% that he's now polling at. Hmm. About 128,000 Republican voters are expected to turn out, which means that Bush needs about, well, he needs a lot more. He needs a lot. His campaign can only confirm that he has 1,260 voters in the Hawkeye State that will vote for him. Oh, wow. 1,000. 260 That's votes. crazy with his name recognition and his money. Oh, And they did this by having their own people make phone calls, try yeah. to poll people. And they found out that they have a lot of work to do to get Man. to the 18% that they want of the total votes. On Sunday, representatives from several Republican presidential campaigns plan to meet in Washington, D.C. for a summit on how to change the way the GOP debates are held and remove power from the Republican National Committee, multiple sources, I've told, Politico.com. The meetings uh, follow Wednesday night's highly criticized CNBC debate that seemed disorganized and unprofessional by many of the candidates as well as 
the Republican National Committee Chairman Reince Priebus. The next Republican debate is hosted by Fox Business Network on November 10th. We'll see if they can right the ship when it comes to (laughs) debates. The European Union Parliament voted Thursday to call on its member states to drop criminal charges against Edward Snowden and to protect him from extradition. Approved by a close 285 to 281. Wow. So by four votes, the EU resolution doesn't change any existing laws or policies, but acts as a resolution on the part of the governing body asking member states to drop any charges against Snowden and prevent extradition or rendition by third parties in recognition of his status as a whistleblower and an international human rights defender. Wow. So now if this goes through, he can go to Europe and then the United States can't, can't get him. extradite him. And so then he's he just can leave Russia. It's <laughs> kind of the idea. Edward Snowden. But it only passed by four votes. Wow. Hillary Clinton? Yeah. She is for the death penalty. She is. In certain situ- situations. Wow. She thinks that the death penalty needs to be reviewed. Sure. That it's used too much. Hmm. But she thinks there are some crimes that are worthy of consideration of the death penalty, hmm. which is a distinct... At opposite with Bernie Sanders and O'Malley for what they're talking about. During the basketball season, it's very common for someone to shoot, do the half-court shot for a contest. They give give away cars, money. At schools, they give away tuition for an entire quarter, which, of course, students just go out of their minds because it's so expensive. A guy at a Memphis Grizzly game on Wednesday night, half-court shot, tater tots, free for the rest of his life from a local burger chain. Wow. Is Is that a good thing? Tater tots. Well, yeah, they're delicious, but for life? For life. Anytime you have, you know, you're thinking, hmm, maybe I want some tater tots. You just drive over and get them. You don't honey, have to pay for it and have to think about it. Honey, can't we move to another state? What? You don't want tots? According to you the don't Wa- want free tots the rest of your life? According to the Wall Street Journal, 30 year old fan. Yeah. If he lives another 50 years, that's $4,600 in free tater tots. Actually, let's just say he won't live that long because <laughs> he's full of tater tots. <laughs> It is going to be tied out. I happen to think tater tots might be a really good price. I think tater tots are a great gift. It's, That's it's better than a, than a lease on a car that you got to pay for. Totally true. Or taxes or whatever. But he'll from. die young if he eats that many tots. Right. But he'll die happy. A happy dead man. Um, we're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, we'll be joined by uh, Rod Gustafson, who's our movie critic from ParentPreviews.com. We're going to review some of the best Halloween movies that uh, you could rent and go watch with your family over the weekend. Giving you something to do as a family. Stick with us, folks. Helping you uh, make the best of this uh, Halloween season. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, great um Great guest again, Rod Gustafson, our good friend from uh, ParentPreviews.com. He's our movie critic as well, and he's he's here today to do a little Halloween special with us. Uh, Rod, this is, to me, a fun time. This is the craziest thing about my Halloween. When I was a kid, Rod, I would go walk around the neighborhood, and we had some friends, and they had a home theater. But back in the old day, a reel-to-reel home theater... Wow. And we would go in there, and we'd always watch like a scary, dark, scary. Like it was probably the, the old Frankenstein, the original Frankenstein movie. And we'd eat carameled apples and have about a fifteen-minute break while we were trick or treating. So movies matter to me at this time of year. 
Yeah, and you know, I think a movie can really add to the feel of Halloween evening. But of course, the big thing is you've got to be so careful because, Matt, I'm not I'm not a huge horror movie no, fan. No, I, me either. I have respect for the genre. Yeah. Now, every now and then, I see one like I like the old Hitchcock movie, Rear Window, that just kind of works on that feeling inside your brain. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But I'm not into chainsaws and axes and those <laughs> types of things. So you, you do you have to be very careful. And you've put together. Um, on your website, you have great lists that anybody can go find anytime they want at parentpreviews.com. But two things I wanted to talk about. One is you have some really good tips for parents to keep in mind when we're choosing kind of a scary movie. And then you also – I wanted to talk about some of your top five movies that might uh, go really well um, for Halloween. Mm-hmm. So yeah. t- yeah. just tell us some of your tips. Sure. I think it's important as as a parent that you think about this maybe a little bit more than what some of us do. And and believe me, parents out there, I'm just as bad. You're busy with Halloween. One of the kids says, hey, we should watch a movie for a Halloween party. And if you've got an age spread, especially with kids, you may be having a 15-year-old at one end of the spectrum and a 6-year-old on the other end. So you need to keep that in mind because chances are your house may fill up with 20, 30 kids from the neighborhood or something or friends from school. And you need to make sure that you get a movie that's got a broad spectrum. I really encourage you, plan ahead, think about it. And I know here we are now just a, a night before Halloween, but even today's not too late to just give a few parents a phone call and say, hey, this is a movie we're going to be showing. Are you okay with this? That's and then when you, when you do show the movie, have some other activities going on. Like it could be, you know, like who knows, well, bobbing for apples. That's a whole other story. I'm an only <laughs> child. Always found that kind of disgusting. But you can have some other Halloween games or something happening in the kitchen while the movie's going on in the family room or the living room. And that gives kids who may be getting a little bit scared an easy way that they can opt out without a lot of peer mm. pressure. It's great advice. And, yeah, and it's good, too, as a parent. Make sure you're watching the movie with the crowd that you've got there and keep an eye on the little ones. And if they are looking scary, just put an arm around them and say, hey, would you like to come over here? And we're, we're you know, we're, we're doing something else. We're doing some other activity or something. Right. I mean, that really is, you got to be sensitive to them and their sensitivities. I mean, you could do a lot of damage to a kid, not like that he'd need to go get therapy, but you yeah. might ruin movies forever for the child. Well, the last thing you want to do is send the neighbor's kid home, and he's awake at 2 in the morning, and they're thinking, he's never going over to that house again. <laughs> Those people are crazy. <laughs> Those people. That's so true. It's you so true. That's don't. great advice. <laughs> hey, hey what, are some, um, what are some movies or some films that, uh, that you think might uh, warrant our attention at this time of year? Well, I'm going to start from the bottom age group and work up because I think you can never go wrong showing a movie that maybe the teenagers are going to go, oh, this is for babies. But you know what? They'll probably watch it anyhow. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So, okay, my favorite, it's The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Sorry, I watched this movie. Now, first of all, I was the picked-on kid in school. I really relate to poor Charlie Brown, (laughs) but there are some really funny moments in this movie. Um, And from a media literacy perspective, where we look at media a little more closely and probably what most people do, what I really enjoy when you watch this movie, compare it to cartoons that you see today, it has a slower pace. It uses music and sound incredibly. There are some great moments of silence. 
silence in this movie where Snoopy's the Red Baron and he's he's walking, he's imagining he's walking across the plains of France and that type of thing. It's really got some interesting moments. So I like It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. And another one that is a great one for the little kids is Pooh's Heffalump Halloween <laughs> movie. And it's just a really simple and sweet little story about Rue and a friend that he has. Rue, of course, is the baby kangaroo. Yeah. They go on a little adventure together, and uh, and you really can't go wrong with that one. It's it, And that one, you know, I would say you could even go down to five and four years old, and there are very, very few movies I would recommend for that low of an age group. Mm. You know, and it's funny because each of those, I, I've I've shared in times with my kids, and boy, it, they're just like the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. That has such fond memories for me. It might create some nostalgia with parents and kids. Oh, definitely. It's a family tradition in our house. I make my kids watch it every year along with the the, the, the Charlie Brown Christmas. Those are the two yeah. musty movies. Yes. Whether they want to or not. Well, what do you do That's- for a little older kids? A little older, Monsters, uh, the Monsters Inc., of course, and Monsters University, two great Pixar movies that really have got some fun stuff to them. And, and you know, they're probably pretty safe as well for kids, even down in the eight, seven, maybe even six-year-old range. Maybe be sitting beside your six-year-old. There's a couple of scary, you know, for us as adults, they're really not scary at all. Right. But for younger children, they could be a little bit scary, and they're a lot of fun as well. Um there's a new one out in theaters right now, Hotel Transylvania 2, and we've been fairly impressed with that. I liked it better than the original Hotel Transylvania, and it's got a couple of fun moments in it that, again, if, if you want to go out and actually go to a theater to see a movie, it'll be on home video certainly um, by next year. Now, and I'm thinking, boy, man, I should check this out beforehand. It might even be coming up for a home video release here yeah. already, and I've forgotten. Great. No. Not yet. No, it's still in theaters. And it's got some fun moments in it. So that's another one that that would work well for that middle age group. Okay. And then if we get to uh, older adults or or the teens, the, the later teens... Yeah, older adults, later teens, you know, we've got, um, there's one called Race for Witch Mountain that's still pretty safe mm. for, you know, probably about the, the 10 and old, older crowd. And then as you get into teens, some of my favorites, Jumanji, which has just oh. re-released on a uh, Blu-ray edition. Yeah. It's really quite good. The old original Jurassic Park. I know you, you wouldn't really think of it as a Halloween movie, but, you know, that's a good scare fest. Yeah. That, I think is a really, really well done film. And then you could go show them something classic, assuming you've got a 13-year-old and over crowd. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. I've always admired that movie. The Sixth Sense is another one, a little bit graphic, some details in there you want want to be careful of. And the one that so many people have forgotten about. This movie starred Nicole Kidman. It was called The Others. And Matt, in all of the horror movies I've watched over the years, for some reason, maybe it was just the day I screened it. This movie's really scary, and there's no no blood or gore in it at all. So that would be another one that you could maybe choose for older kids. Oh, that is good stuff. And what a great list. Um, Rod, again, if they go to parentpreviews.com, they can find the list and even look up each of those movies and get your review. They certainly can. Good stuff. Rod Gustafson, appreciate you. Have a happy holiday up there, and uh, 
Take care of Donna. Don't scare her too much. (laughs) I will try not to. I'll comb my hair. That'll help. (laughs) Good stuff. Thank you, Rod. Again, go to parentpreviews.com to get all the information about those movies and uh, and make it a great great weekend with your kids. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking to some of my producers, and uh, they're going to try to stump me, I'm sure, a little bit, but we're also... um, we're going to have a lot of fun as well, so stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. If you've got the money, honey, I've got the time. We'll go honky-tonking and we'll have a time. We'll have more fun, baby, all the way down the Welcome line. back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. If you got the money, honey, I've got the time. Yeah, welcome back. Hey, uh, in studio with me right now, what uh, the duo we call the petite producers? <laughs> yeah. They are um, they are the vertically challenged producers. We have about six producers on the show. So rude. And these two are just a bundle of joy and energy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Caitlin Thomas, Liana Tan, Tan. Tan. It's okay. Liana Tan. Whatever. Leona Ton. Um, and cool. they are joining me because we like to bring on the producers be- because, A, they do so much work behind the scenes. So every guest we have on the show, they are the ones doing all the work to chase them down, to tie them up, and to feed them until we get them on the show, and then they release them. Precisely. But here's the deal. Today, you, uh, we always like you to bring me a little learning, a little challenge, a little information that's important to your generation and mine. Uh, producers, what are we talking about today? We wanted to hash something out because okay. before we tried to have you guess our millennial terms and you got them all right. Yes, you I did. Beat us there, so why? You, think- you know why? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't care. Because we're my no. generation's super smart. Match. So we were trying to think. <laughs> okay, okay what can that. we beat you at? And what uh, can you beat me at? Yeah, we decided to- there's one thing what? we can beat you at: paying for your social security. Yes. You We're talking for retirement sure. today, yes. Matt. Yes. You're going to pay more retirement. for my retirement than I will pay for yours. Exactly. That right. That's exactly your generation, Generation X, has paid into your, this Social Security for your whole working careers, right. and you're going to reap the benefits. Yes. But millennials like us are paying into the same system right. and are not going to get anything I out of know. it. I know. Isn't that thanks wild? Thanks to you, yeah. Matt. Hey, and you this... guys, thanks. That's really nice of you. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a... No. <laughs> Burden. So <laughs> I, I was reading this article from the American Spectator, and it said that Social Security Trust Fund will go bankrupt by 2037. Yeah. So that means that we are going to be retiring at age 73, whereas you mm. get to your average retirement uh, age for your age group is uh-huh. 61. Oh, and and the perfect. average lifespan of a people is 84 years. So we'll have maybe, yes. maybe, maybe 11, 11 years. years at best to just enjoy with our spouse. And, and I, I think those numbers are skewed because I'm pretty sure we will be able to retire earlier than 61 and you will have to retire in your 80s. Oh, thank you. You're that just making it worse. Okay. So well, what do you have sorry. to say for yourself? You, you have to... what. What do you advise us to do? What should we Let do? Let me now? just tell you. Have you ever watched the movie Lion King? Yes, yes. it's my favorite. There's a, there's a there's a song in there called The Circle of Life. You're awful. And every one pays it forward. Okay, but who's paying us forward? Well, that's the deal. We're the first generation to actually not pay it forward, but to just let it all run downward. So it's just all running down into your generation. Oh, Thanks a lot. We love you. And we're not doing it because we want to. We're doing it because our parents straddled us this way. <laughs> and now we're trapped. So now we will trap you. And mm-hmm. then the neat thing, this is the great thing. 
You will have children, and you will just tie them down to bondage. How am I going to afford to have children if I'm still paying for you? Well, I think, let's be real. The way you're going to do that is you're going to be living with us a lot longer, which you already are, and we're tired of it. And so because we will support you longer than – see, we all moved out of our parents' house about 20. You guys are going to stay there probably until you're 30. Mm. That's really rude. Just can we're you have short, a little bit of sympathy for the stress that you put oh, on us? So, so the only solution that this article gave us, and a lot of the solutions that I found, was just to save money. And it says, mm-hmm. save early, save often. And this Ugh. article actually says, a millennial who begins planning in their early 20s must save less over time and will end That's right. up... That's uh, end right. Up with the, more in the bank in retirement That's than right. a millennial who waits until their 30s. That's brilliant so. advice. So save... Uh, we'll let you live with us till you're 25, 26. Then get a life and get out there and then save with your spouse and then give us grandkids. Oh. And then that will ensure that you two will be able to retire when you're in your early 80s. Are okay, you, but get you a this, motivational Matt. speaker. Yes, I am. <laughs> get this, Matt. That? Though the article also says that financial experts peg the figure at $2 million. That's double the $1 million figure typically used to describe how much boomers must have to weather their declining years. So not only do we have to save at a younger age, we also mm. have to save double more what you are supposed to be saving. Ugh. So we so have a, we have a proposition for you. Because okay. okay. you feel bad, right? So Well, I feel a little bad. And the, there's obviously no way that you can just give us money. That's well, not going to happen. We figured that right. out. So you can't pay okay. us back with money. But right. we're going to ask you to pay us back right now with yeah. your ego. Okay, okay, okay. That's, That's Because millennials love to be entertained. So, so you, want to t- you want to take it yep. out in blood money exactly. from my ego. We right. don't need your money. We so need your ego. we have a couple of things we're doing okay. here. First right. one, I just you know, the new Star Wars is coming out in December. Yes. I'm really excited. I already bought my tickets. So why, I would, Hold on. Why? Why See, not? Can I just suggest, Matt, no, sh- for somebody no. that needs to save $2 million, you shouldn't be buying tickets two months ahead of time. Well, we love we entertainment. Entertainment things. is what keeps us happy. All right. Um, so, but I, me and Liana would really love to hear your best impression of Chewbacca. Uh, Chewbacca. Uh, no, who did a big? Who did, <laughs> who did a great Chewbacca? Somebody on our show did a great Chewbacca. It's like a dinosaur. Uh, <laughs> who did the great Chewbacca? Are We've you got great up? audio of Chewbacca. I don't know, but I want to hear yours. Yeah, That's all I care about yours. right now. I just I'm, want your ego. It doesn't bother me. Try again. Um, I'm trying to think of what Chewbacca sounds like. Um, he like moves his uvula really fast back there. His what? You know that little thing that dangles in the back of your throat? No, you mean the dangly skin thing? Yeah, dangly skin. He moves his dangly skin thing. It's disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. What's that, Chewbacca? If you asked me to do Yoda, I could do Yoda. Oh, let's hear Yoda. Yoda, good boy, is. Okay, you don't get to choose them anymore. (laughs) Yoda. Pretty funny. That's still pretty funny. Petite producers are. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I'm feeling more and more uh, or less and less upset about this See? retirement as Good. we go. So I'm glad I, I um, you know, I, I befriended your wife on Facebook yesterday. Did you? I did. You have and so much ammunition. Are, on you. Are, did she tell you? Yeah, that's not my wife. This, this is your wife. Your wife. Okay. And I would like to share some stories that she shared with okay, me. Okay, great. This is cool. We're going to okay. embarrass you. So that's this good. is uh, Takes when a you, lot 20 years me. ago. So I assume that you were recently married. I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt here. (laughs) Maybe you're married for 10 years already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So she said, one day he came to visit me at work at Salt Lake in the swim and tennis club, Mm -hmm. and he was standing behind the counter. This was 30 years ago. 
with me as people would come in to pay and play. Yeah. Someone came in that we knew, and so we were ta- talking to them for a while. Yeah. He was standing there talking to them with his foot balancing on the top of the school yeah. stool. So and my I- leg was up in the air on a stool, <laughs> and my other, I think I had a hand in my pocket. And I noticed that his was zipper was shirt. down. <laughs> my zipper was down. So I quickly ran to the back office to, to uh, yeah. and signaled for and him to examine. And she signaled, and she's like, X, Y, Z. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not embarrassing. That's embarrassing. Why? That's funny. Just Why is that admit funny? it. It's okay. No, we honestly, can see your well, red I cheeks. Think it's funny. No one else on your the radio can see right this, now. but everyone listening, Matt's cheeks. Look, He's crying I, a little. I've told this story in front of a thousand people live. Okay. This isn't funny. This is just factual. Can you? Oh, it's funny. Please remind us then yeah. of the time you went to where'd you Israel, go? Israel, and Egypt. Oh yeah, and got stuck Please in customs. Remind us what of happened this to you? <laughs> I told this story in front of a thousand people. I went through customs in Israel, which is very difficult. Have you ever been through Israel Israeli customs? No, I've been through customs hard. though. And they they're real they have guns and you know there's a lot of terrorism and I went through Ooh. with a BYU tour to go to Israel and uh, I had packed my bags and my the lady op- they choose one person out of the whole tour to have their bags and they picked you. And they picked me. So the lady with the guns and the gloves is going through my bag in front of 30 or 40 people from BYU tours. And she opens my bag, and it immediately shuts. And she pulls on it, and it shuts again. <laughs> and it's like, well, I'm, in my head, I'm like, what is in my bag? And she pulls, and the next thing you hear, shoink, and out flies underwear <laughs> across the entire screening room and lands on the other side of the floor. Oh my gosh! I read this story and I just burst out. In we the were, office. I just we burst were out crying. That's not embarrassing. That's like cool. No, because everyone watched. And then I'm like, do you want me to go get those? We have or? tissues for your tears. We brought them. <laughs> See, this to me is the funnest segment we've ever done. Oh, that it's is okay. That's don't funny be, to me. Don't be ashamed. It's okay. Why is that shameful? So for all of the. Matt's generation, you don't need to pay us back with money. You just need to embarrass yourself. We just need to embarrass ourselves. Yeah, but, and for all the millennials. Okay, but let me just let me just clean this up, and we'll end it right here. In the end, we are going to live off of you. Yeah. A, B, you will also have to take care of us, feed us, clothe us, change, change us. Change your diapers. And C, because we are older than you and we always will be, we will always be able to embarrass you more than you will ever embarrass us. We will... We will say stupid things with your family and your friends, and we get to do it till we die. Hmm. So uh, thank you, petite producers. Isn't that great? Leanna Tan, Caitlin Thomas. Uh, <laughs> we, I do appreciate you guys taking care of us forever. Yeah, thank we you. love you, man. And thanks for being on the show. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll visit our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, I can just see you two down there dancing and shaking it. We're going to go down to BYU Sports Nation. And two of the uh, super subs, Jason Shepard, Brian Logan, filling in for uh, Spencer and Jeremy. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matt. How are you today? Good morning. Are you guys down there shaking it? 
Always. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't do, know how to dance. Do, oh, please. I bet you I bet you can just shake it with the best of them. Like Jerem. <laughs> by the way, Jerem is the, the best of them. Jerem, yes, Jerem is. He's a great singer. He can do falsetto. Jerem could do it all. He's the renaissance man. <laughs> the, you know what? He's the golden child. It, it's fun to have you guys on the show right before um, Halloween. Because I know you like to dress up. So, what's your favorite costume? What are you going as uh, this Halloween? Uh, I'm not going as anything. Brian. Jason, are you? I, I honestly, Matt, it is my least favorite holiday. Why? I, I just don't like Halloween. I, I Even as a kid, I didn't like it. But you're both exhibitionists, so <laughs> I thought for sure you'd... I'm not sure how to take that. I don't either. Uh... <laughs> I don't know how I meant it. Um, so, so you don't... I, I personally don't like the dress-up thing either. That I don't like that. Yeah. But as a dad, it's fun walking yeah, around I... and standing there on the curb waiting. Yeah, I've got, I've got four little kids. Yeah. Um, three, I believe, three of the four. The oldest one is, is a little too old now that he doesn't want to do it, but... Uh, yeah, I mean that part of it I, I like because you see their excitement. You get mm-hmm. to walk around and see them on the uh, the the sugar high yeah. uh, by the end of the night, <laughs> bouncing um, off the walls. But yeah, for me personally, I just I I, I don't like to dress up. Uh, I try not to eat a ton of candy. Yeah, you're and healthy. I don't like to be scared. So it's just a bad, it's a bad combination for me. Man. I was gonna be so my son is gonna be Darth Vader. We Ooh. we 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 brought him this pretty high end, cool Darth Vader outfit. Yeah, the helmet and everything. Get, oh, it's Man, I'm gonna take a picture and, and tweet it out. <laughs> yeah, it I is, do. It is pretty amazing for uh, you know the amount of money we spent on a four year old. Uh, <laughs> with that being said, I was going to dress up as a stormtrooper. Uh, That's kinda, cool. Yeah, kind of just be with them and and uh, go with the theme. <laughs> but uh, last minute, changed my mind. So, now, what are you gonna be? Uh, uh, just dad. Oh, super dad. Kind of boring. Maybe I'll put a cape on. Ex-football. Just put an ex- S on the, on the chest player. and be super dad. Maybe I'll just grab like a, 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 like a quilt or something, a blanket, and then just safety pin it together. And so people ask me, I'd say yeah. super dad. Or you could be like a little old lady with a quilt. Uh, Why don't that, you wear your yes. BYU uniform? <laughs> yeah, dude. That, who's got that? That's it's really an, cool. It's, an, it's all. It's uh, Is it behind glass? It's framed, yeah. It's framed up, yeah. It's Do you all... have any other uniforms, though, that you could wear? I do and be a football player. I get, I, I get, I get it to my mom. I think she framed. Oh, what too. a son! I don't know about you, yeah. Matt, but if I were an athlete to the caliber that Brian was, oh. I would be wearing my uniform all the time. I'd wear it all day long. <laughs> I'd wear I my helmet everywhere I go. <laughs> exactly. That is my point. <laughs> I just found my helmet. We're so we're moving to Orem from from Lehigh in a couple weeks, and I just found my helmet just from moving. Wear that. Just wear that. I should. Just, I could just do that. That's yeah. cool. Everybody would think that's super that. cool. Yeah, I mean, except for the dads that are jealous. Hey, did you guys hear? <laughs> um, did you hear about the new hamburger? Would you ever eat this? By the way, this sounds kind of gross, but in a weird way, good. It's uh, it's a hamburger with Reese's peanut butter cups inside a beef patty, topped with crispy onion strings. Ew. Oh, that's that sounds nasty. And two strips of bacon. Oh, uh, I think I just threw up a little bit in my mouth. And then you add a little more, a few more peanut butter cups. Mm-mm-mm, stop. No more. Doesn't that sound good? That sounds nasty. Who's selling that? <laughs> That's, I am li- it's crazy. literally holding your hand. It's called holding. the Works Gourmet Burger. Jason's forearm right now. Just <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> holding him up from passing oh, no. out. You guys, oh, we're, oh boy. Chain reaction. There they go. <laughs> that sounds like, that really does sound like Jason's losing it. <laughs> oh, was that you, Brian, that, that was, was losing Brian, it? That was Brian, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm good now. I'm focused. I'm thinking about Gushers. So you, okay, so apparently you guys don't like peanut butter cups on your hamburgers. No. no. W- would you want a Twix bar? 
the best thing the best uh, you know what the best weird I, I would say the weirdest thing which is not that weird when it comes from traditional uh peanut butter and chocolate is getting uh making a sandwich and yeah. having nutella and having peanut butter that, oh, yeah. Oh, that, that's good. That's good. Have I you ever thrown a Eat? banana on that? Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. No, that's too healthy. <laughs> See, I'm not a huge mixer of savory and sweet. Aren't you now? No, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I like to keep my flavors separate. You you wouldn't do a maple bar with a little bacon on it? Um, I, I, I would to try it, <laughs> yes, but to make it like a mainstay, no. Yeah, no. No. Would you, would you do a maple bar uh, as a bun for a hamburger? No. No. Okay, just checking. Would you? Hey, would you take? Here's here's one, and I, I had some friends that wanted to try this. I'll ask both of you this: cougar tail as a hot dog bun. Ooh, yeah. This is making me sick. <laughs> but like, it'd have to be like a real beef frame. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I am, I am, I am literally gonna throw up. <laughs> I can't take this. Anymore. Oh, that's great. Oh man, Let, you know, let's keep going. Let's keep going, I'm Jason, until he throws up. It's all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna open up a pack of Skittles right now, so I'm gonna yeah. excuse myself. For that'll that'll walk seconds. you. That'll get you out of it. Um, so you guys are still doing your show, right? I mean, now it's your show because you're two for two. Yeah, we're apparently we didn't screw things up uh, yeah. bad you're yesterday, back. so back. we've been asked back. What's uh, what's the show on today? Well, we we actually have uh, some. Can, some can you tell moments. Brian to quit eating a Skittle so loud? Oh yeah. Oh, he's going with the wild berry skittles. Ooh. Can you hear this crink- crinkling? I, yeah, I can hear it all. Okay, it's, we've got great audio. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not sorry, but I'm sorry. Yeah, that's all right. This we uh, we had uh, we have some BYU football news. They announced some early signees. It's the Ooh. early signing period in college yeah. football. So a couple of new football players will be uh, entering uh, BYU coming up in January. So we will talk with Justin Anderson, who is uh, the recruiting coordinator, the director of player personnel. He's going to join us to talk about some of those. Uh, a big match tonight, uh, top 25 match with BYU women's volleyball. Yes. Uh, senior libero uh, Sierra Parker is going to join us in studio. And, Matt, I know this is one of your favorite segments mm-hmm. that always happens on BYU Sports Nation. Yeah. Big deal, no deal. <laughs> we are going to get into that today as well. A, a game. I, I love a good game. Big deal, no deal. Yep. Uh, you know, I got to ask you this, and I, I forgot all about it, but uh, did you hear about the Utah Jazz hired their player, uh, their vice president of player, no, what was it, is a female. It's the vice president of basketball operations. Basketball operations is a yeah. female. Yeah, it's Linda Lucchetti, and I I, oh, cool. I got to know Linda um, through years of covering the Jazz. I She's knew you'd know. A very, very, first of all, nice lady, but very qualified. It's, this, is a great, this is a great thing. And, hey, you know what? Utah always gets a bad rap for not being progressive enough. Right, Look. right. Is she, is she, is she well-versed? I mean, I mean, is she the only female in player operations that's, a, that's the head of player operations in the NBA? Now I, I don't. My initial reaction is yes, but I, I don't cool. know that that is one hundred percent accurate. I, I may yeah. have been speaking. Well, even if there's a that. couple more, but it's it's we're, they're breaking the barriers. This is great. Yeah, absolutely, man. When are they going to have a female co-host of BYU Sports Nation? Ooh, I mean, I, I mean, know. temporary co-host after. So that would be third string after you guys. I was right? going to say, is Matt trying to get rid of. One no, of us? I'm just saying we need to throw a female out there. I mean, I mean, you know, just because I'm worried that Brian's to, gone now. To throw a female? Oh no, there's Brian. There's nothing against females. Yeah, I'm just no, saying that's like, a good point. Do we need to have one. Well, like, is, there, is there an absolute need? Yes. Like, will we get in trouble if we don't have one? No, but you know what would happen? I guarantee you, if we found a female that would throw back a um, a, a hamburger with a little <laughs> Reese's in it, she'd get the job. 
<laughs> That's the qualifications. If you can eat this, you will be a co-host on BYU Sports Nation. Because she wouldn't be over there popping Skittles like you are, Brian. <laughs> Man, these you, skills have saved my life. You little Skittle popper. Just start checking some right now, actually. Yeah, I can hear it. Yeah, we all can hear it there, Brian. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, anyway, uh, it sounds like a great show, guys. Knock them dead. So far, you'll be two for two. And That's who right. knows if Jerem and Spencer will make it through the weekend. Who knows? Maybe. What? We will see. What, what'd you, Enjoying what, his Skittles. What, what did you say, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm eating my Skittles. You're slurring your speech, man. <laughs> all right, guys. Have a great show. Knock them dead. Thanks, Matt. Be good. That's great. Yeah. Jet. Jet is Spencer Linton's son's name. I think it's his son. I can't. I'm pretty sure it was his son. That's cool. That's what a great name. So now he gets to go play with Jet on Halloween. How cool. My daughter waiting to have her first child, which would be my first grandchild. And I'm going to now tell her maybe Jet. Maybe we ought to name her Jet. She had another name picked out, but Jet's not a bad name. Not a bad name. Hey, by the way, just to remind you, today is Candy Corn Day and National Frankenstein Friday. Frankenstein Friday, and uh, it's also National Breadstick Day. So let's just not leave out breadsticks for this wonderful holiday. Two stories I got to tell you really fast before we get to our hero story. Man, a hotel in Vermont. By the way, someday it'll be called Hotel Vermin. We'll offer three animals... Three animals injured or killed on the road as it hosts the Wild About Vermont event on November 7th. Listen to this. <laughs> um, okay, the event will feature a game supper with donations from hunters and fishermen in the state. Residents say it's a quirky, interesting idea. The supper will cost $75 and will be prepared by Chef Doug Payne. Also on the menu, by the way, but these are all roadkill-inspired menu items. Okay? Um, <laughs> on the menu will be deer, bear, moose, and muskrat. Payne says it will be delicious and well worth trying. He says he's sure the residents have that uh, – many residents haven't tried beaver but would probably like it if they did. So you pay $75 and you can go to Hotel Vermont, also Hotel Vermin. And you can try um, – they, they were animals that were injured or killed on the road. Mm. Mm-mm. And if you really want to mix it up a bit, you can put a little uh, peanut butter cup right on top. Mm. Melt that into the deer. Here's another crazy story, a little Halloween-ish. Uh, a search for a sleepwalker that involved bloodhounds, okay? So if you know somebody that is a sleepwalker, heavy sleeper, um, this person was a sleepwalker, and she walked away while asleep from her home, and they needed to get the blood the hounds out scouring the quiet neighborhood Tuesday morning. It ended, though, this is crazy, nine miles away on her uncle's couch, okay? Nine miles away. Jefferson County, Florida Sheriff's Office says the 19-year-old Taylor Gamble's cousin found her asleep at their house more than an hour after she was reported missing. She was barefoot, authorities said, and only wearing a T-shirt and sweatpants. Before she was found, authorities searched the area to learn that she was nine miles away in a neighboring town. Her father had called the police when he realized that she wasn't. Hey, wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Anyway, they found her. Nine miles away, folks. She got there in about an hour and a half. 
They still aren't sure how she did it. They saw her at a bus stop. Somebody did, the sheriff said. But at this point, we're not sure how she got there. If she took the bus, because she didn't have any money or a purse. Like, did she get on the bus and the bus driver's like, hey, you got to pay. Hey, ma'am, you got to pay. Anyway, just sitting back. Don't worry about it. I'll cover it this time. Anyway, she made it. So you think you got it bad. At least you don't sleep bus, sleepwalk, and take a bus. Hey, um, it's uh, Halloween, so make sure you're looking out for the kids as you're driving home uh, tomorrow. And uh, watch out for them, right? We don't want any mishaps. We always like to end the show on a, on a happy note and on a hero story. Here's our hero story today. People held Martha McClure as a hero when photos of the daycare provider's beaten and bloodied face went viral after she stood up to a non-custodial parent who allegedly attacked her when she wouldn't let him take his children. McClure says the attention has been humbling and a little embarrassing, adding that she feels she was just simply doing her job. To me, it wasn't heroic, she said. To me, it's what I'm supposed to do. The, chi- the children in my care are in my care. I am their, I am their uh, caregiver. I'm their mama bear, and when their mother isn't there, um, I'm going to do what I have to do. Did I know he was going to hurt me? Yes. Did I hope he wouldn't? Sure. Would I do it all over again? She said, definitely. So the dad went to get his kids, uh, and she wouldn't give them up. And um, because she didn't give them up, he beat her up. And she was willing to take it and uh, did it to protect the kids. The kids, she said, they don't know what all happened. We do the best we could to keep them safe and keep them innocent, said McClure. I don't want my home to be a scary place when something scary happened. For most of these kids, my house is their second home. She says, I'm grateful that it wasn't worse. It's my job, but I did. I will honestly say that the scars physically are going to heal. Had I given them to him, uh, the emotional scars, I wouldn't have been able to live with myself if she had given up those kids. Everybody mattered in that moment um, is now safe and sound. So, Martha McClure, you're the hero of the day. Not just doing your job, but watching out for the little ones. Again, folks, that's the show. Trying to help you find the good in the world. We can't do it without you. Join us again Monday. More ideas, more tools right here on BYU Radio. Take care. Until Monday, take care of yourself.